This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to Body Count, a history podcast where we gab about death and disaster through the ages, highlighting figures, single events, time periods, culture, whatever it may be that resulted in someone, or as is usually the case, a lot of someone's dying. I am your host, Jessica Manor, and I am joined by my two fucking co-hosts. <laughs> Bethany Skelton! And, and Kara DiDemizio signing in. That's, that's the most joy we've ever had out of Kara saying hello. Uh, so I'm already pumped for what uh, we're talking about tonight. But first, guys, as always, housekeeping. Um, That's always going to be here, and it's always going to say. So if you love this show, and we are available on all listening platforms, if you love this show, we ask that you go and give us those five stars. It really helps us out on the business end of things. It's so important that you all do it. We would really (laughs) appreciate it. Unless you that don't being like us, said, just ignore us. If you don't like us, yeah. please don't even bother. Yeah, please don't bother. We're not worth your time, Internet, <laughs> if you don't care for us. Um, that being said, we are joined today by a guest who's currently making us a special guest. A wall of degrees. He's got a tier of guests. <laughs> I don't like to brag. I don't like to brag. <laughs> okay. Okay. Then go ahead and introduce yourself, Doctor. L- ladies and gentlemen, I am the ever so humble Doctor Warren Doctor, here to give you my very meager and honest and open opinions that in no way are are verbose or or uh, over the top and just. Honest, honest, just easy facts. <laughs> I'm here to blow your mind. <laughs> Can we pause for a second? I have to get my thesaurus. If I'm going to be able to, like, follow the rest of this, I can clearly I tell I'm going to need it. Oh, my God. Presence of somebody so smart. Straight from across the pond. He's been re-imported. Re-imported? Yeah. <laughs> He's back on track. He's focused, and his Twitter bio got more pretentious than it's ever been, guys. He has that blue check mark, man. Like that blue check mark. That means That's he's a right. person. Like an actual. I'm person. a real human person. That does and not in, get in no way out. am I a vampire. An actual human person, Jackie Daytona. So, first things first. Go ahead, tell everybody, I mean, plug your book, plug whatever you're doing, plug where people can follow you so anybody that turns us off at the end doesn't miss it. I'm forcing you on our audience like you just have to be, like you do to us. Oh. (laughs) The daddy of body count. Oh. Oh. The daddy of body count is here. Uh, You can follow me at at Warren Doctor on, on Twitter. And if you're interested in my work, it's available in all fine bookshops and Amazon. It's called Churchill and the Islamic World, which I wrote. And recently, 
I've been working on an essay for a good buddy of mine, director Alan Packwood, um, about Churchill and intelligence and, and his role, uh, well, him as a soldier uh, and the role that he played in, in, in experiencing intelligence sort of for, before intelligence was formalized in 1909. Did you see that? Kara held your book up to the camera. Oh, I didn't know she had a copy. Yeah, I'll I got it. I'll sign it for you. Yay. Because God knows she couldn't own it in good conscience unless you had, you know, signed it yourself. But seriously, that is super cool. Honestly, I'm just totally stoked to have you back on because you took me on a hell of a journey the last time. He always takes women on journeys on body count, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, he does. Oh, we go uh, exploring. We we reach out into a journey through time and space in the bushiest of fashions. Yeah, the, I wouldn't have it any other I'm way. on board this carriage. <laughs> Smell, color, see, sound, the Warren Doctor way. That being said, like he said, he's not talking about his book. If you want to hear about the book, can go back and listen to the previous series that Warren is on. It does very well in our listener numbers. So in a nuance again, to Churchill, unlike what there apparently has been recently. So that's appreciated. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I do Although, try to engage in actual scholarship. <laughs> unlike other people that shall not be named, I suppose. Uh, exactly. Um, so... As you know, that's what we're going to talk about today. He's already stated it. I love that he threw in the director part just to be extra pretentious, but we're going to ignore that. He's a great man. He is. He is indeed. um, That'll never, ever listen to this podcast. So God bless him. But um, (laughs) you go ahead and start. Where are we starting? What are we doing? How are we diving into this? And and I'll just tell you what I want to sort of look at so what we're going to be exploring here is churchill's relationship with intelligence and this is sort of broad so espionage and his role you know people know that churchill was a soldier and people don't know that churchill's role as a soldier involved a lot of military intelligence and that these experiences helped shape how he guided intelligence later on in the first world war and then later more importantly in the second world war where he becomes uh, you know, hugely important at the center of uh, uh, things like Operation Fortitude South and Operation Fortitude North and Operation Mincemeat and, and the SOE and the sort of liberation of France. And a lot of the things that happened to him, these, these lessons that he learned as a soldier, which, by the way, is the name of, of the essay I'm writing, Learning Lessons, um, these experiences mm-hmm. taught him, <laughs> Jessica has eye-rolled at me and I understand why. Uh, <laughs> his lesson. So that that's sort of what I'd like to talk about is his experiences as a soldier, um, and how he got involved in military intelligence, and how these experiences shaped his thinking later on. Well, because he did a lot. I remember in the uh, episodes that we did, those ended up being series. <laughs> Might as well just say it was a series with you, Warren. I remember he he really was heavily involved in World War One and continued kind of that mentality of you know what fuck that like fuck that noise i'm gonna actually do something about it and i always actually thought that was really cool 
You have yeah, this, I think the World War One element. Like he was like in it, like don't fuck with my country, you know, don't fuck with my freedom in a sense. Like maybe that's you know not in the right. Can word. I just say I'm incredibly offended. Bethany cannot recall more than two facts of all the journeys and things she's been on with me, but she can remember your series. So remembers one well. Da. You want to know why, da, doctor? You want to know, you wanna know why, Jessica? Because he was nice to me and didn't belittle my comments. Wow, this took this turned quick on the Jerry Springer show. Or the Jessica Manor show. <laughs> he loves me more, Jessica. Okay. Now, that being said, um, I, I'm I've always been more intrigued by Churchill's World War One journey, I guess. Because for me, it's not what's heavily focused on in the World War Two mantra i get like the world war ii exploratory that is social media everyone's always hyper fixated on churchill as well prime minister but specifically in the guise of the world war ii years and how you know he kind of rises from the ashes but i've always been interested in kind of his series of failures to be honest and how he learned from them because that's what that's what people learn and develop from right no, that's absolutely right. And I mean, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Robert Rhodes James wrote a book called uh, Churchill, A Study in Failure, which ends in 1939 before he becomes prime minister. And it, it sort of imagines him as, the, you know, it looks at his career up to that point as a sort of eccentric guy. And I mean, I, I think quite you're absolutely right about the fact that it is so saturated about Churchill in the Second World War. And it's because that's a part of the sort of you know, British identity and, and the American mythos of fighting the good war and all that kind of stuff. And so Churchill's role as, as as in the pantheon of that has to be quite substantial. But what I find myself is most interesting about Winston Churchill's career is, is the stuff that happened before. And I focus on stuff even in the 19th century, you know, him as a young man, what shaped him? Why does he think the way he thinks? And then we can see how that stuff plays out in the second war. So that's What's born of this essay that I'm that I'm currently working on for Alan Packwood's book, uh, which will be out with CUP, um, and and that is to look at these experiences in the 19th century. And I mean, so we even go back before the First World War, and in many ways, what I'd like to take us up to today doesn't even it takes us basically up to the second or the First World War. It never even we don't need to go beyond that to kind of illustrate the points that I that I'd like to make. And um, so the 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 first place to say, of course, is to mention that uh, the, the place to start, I guess, is that, you know, Churchill joined, um, well, he went to Sandhurst to get his military education. And most of the military education in those days for him as a cavalry officer focused on them learning how to charge. Now, we think that that's kind of absurd today, right? But but in the 1890s. That wasn't unusual. That was kind of the last hurrah. I mean, up until World War One, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, doctor, but you don't really see cavalry charges typically used after world war one I. I mean you have it no, in the but, beginning of the war and then artillery and all of these new weapons make it fruitless endeavor there's a huge ballpark figure but millions of horses died in world war one too as a result well, it, of it, these. And what's really interesting about the horses is and 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 the use of a military charge that all gets played out in the boer war which we're going to talk about um between south africa and the british empire yes yes 
like when you say charge like are you talking about like a real like like charge yeah dude? yeah an actual traditional charge, charge. oh exactly like a cavalry charge. oh and, okay. and what's really interesting about churchill's career is he he participated physically himself in the last full cavalry charge at the battle of omderman in the during the anglo-dervish war in 1898 i've seen you know reenactments of actual charges and i would hate i would not i would not be down for <laughs> i wouldn't i'd not <laughs> We wouldn't put you on a horse and say, charge? No, no, they're all coming. No, 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 I'm good. So, no. so, but we'll have it when we get to the Boer War, we'll explain why those tactics start failing. Now, there are later cavalry charges, and one is attempted in the First World War, but immediately everyone's killed. Um, so, you can see that this is a problem. So, the, the place to start here, I think, uh, sorry, my computer, I got an email. Um, the place to start here, I think, is to say that b before we get into this, it's important to know that so Churchill, we know he went to Sandhurst and then he joined the fourth Hussars and his, his place to India and sort of lived the life as a, of a cavalry officer who'd not seen much action. And a lot of these guys didn't see action. Now, Churchill, by, by the time he enters Parliament, has seen action in uh, four major conflicts. He's been in and on three continents. So, I mean, he's a seasoned warrior by the time he joins Parliament in 1900. And a lot of these ideas about how the military is used and the tactics, intelligence, signals intelligence, which is, of course, an emerging field, right? And I'll explain the context around these things as, as we go through it. Um, so the, the first place we need to start, I think, is in Cuba. So Churchill took a job as a war correspondent. And he went there with the Spanish Empire and looking at the Cuban insurrection, right? And mm -hmm. in order to do this, he needed to get permission. And he, he approached the, uh, his military superiors and, and told them that he wanted to go. And he was basically referred to the head of the intelligence division. And the head of the intelligence division told him that he was happy to go if he would work as an intelligence officer. So bear in mind, Churchill has this unique, interesting position whereby he's working as a press officer and an intelligence officer in his very first role. Wow. And the wow. thing that they that they wanted to know, so so the dispatches that he's writing back to the press are also dispatches that are going and being used for military purposes. Now, why this is interesting and, and important, contextually speaking, is that you know, military intelligence and all forms of intelligence at this point are basically a new science. It's kind of a gentleman's game. Nobody takes intelligence seriously that much. And it's kind of just what's discussed behind closed doors. It's it's hardcore military tactics and strategy uh, and map making. That's kind of what you're looking at right now. There's not a lot of in-depth stuff. Now, in the naval side, you do get signals intelligence coming up in about the mid-1880s, right? Because if you send a group of ships somewhere, people have to be able to communicate to each other without talking. And so you get cryptographic intelligence and that kind of stuff because you need to talk in code, you know, standard stuff. Well, because... There's no kind of rules about how any of this stuff is done. You press correspondents could also be intelligence officers. This is one of the really weird things that's happening. So the stuff that Churchill's writing back to the to the audience is also the stuff that he's kind of saying to the uh, uh, the British kind of military thinkers. Yes. So my question to you is because you're right. He has this kind of 
dual role thing going on right now at this point. So when he would write back, was there any kind of censorship at this point in what he was doing? Like, was he, I mean, given we're not talking about like the importance of censorship and intelligence work quite yet, but I guess what kind of enthusiasm did he have over having this dual role so early on in his career? Well, I think he was more interested. I mean, that's a great question. I think he was more interested in being a war correspondent, honestly, than doing anything with intelligence. For him, the whole military career is essentially a trajectory to get him into politics and to make his name. Mm-hmm. And like so ambitious, you see like him do exactly. And he, you know, because he saw his father die at such an early age, he was afraid that he would also die at an early age. And so he wanted to really push the boat out and and try to get as much done as he possibly could. I'm sorry, that man did the exact opposite than die at an early age. Yeah, okay. no, and he lived longer than they thought he would, too, by a long That's shot. For real, that man did the exact, he said, I'm going to die at an early age. And he didn't. He didn't. He died so old. No, no, no. He he was, he, you know, let's see, he was born in 1874 and died in 1965. So he, he had pretty good innings. Yeah. <laughs> when you can when you consider his habits too especially. yeah oh yeah absolutely um it's interesting there was an article written in the early 90s called the churchill factor uh which is interesting because boris johnson named his book the churchill factor anyway in this article in the 90s yeah whoops and, and it was in the daily mail or something i think anyway it argued <laughs> doctors argued that churchill had this longevity Jessica, are because you okay? he drank so much that it thinned his blood out are you okay, Jess? You, I think yeah, you're... I just, I laughed. I'm sorry, y'all go on. I was laughing and I just spit Jessica my... would be a shit spy, for the record. <laughs> or <laughs> the is worst. that what she wants you to think? Mm. It's coming full circle because we first thought Bethany would be the shit spy. And then it's not, then I'm a little like suspect with Jessica's reaction there to the Churchill factor. So... <laughs> Um, so so he goes out there and one of the things that that, that the head of the military division told him who was of course someone that his mother knew so again this is all about social networks there was a real serious change in around this time at the end of the 19th century in small weapons manufacturing and some people even call this the revolution of of small arms and what had happened was uh uh, people were using rifles and, and powder rifles. So, for instance, the British military at the time used a, a Henry Martini Mark II, right, which was a kind of standard. It was accurate up to 600 yards. But then along comes Mauser, and Mauser creates a, a rifle that's accurate up to 1,000 yards, and in some cases more, depending on what thing you have. But that's not even that important. What's more important is is that he came up uh, with a 757-millimeter bullet and smokeless gunpowder. And this is revolutionary. This is game-changing. And Churchill is sent to Cuba to find out about this bullet and about the effects of these rifles because Mm. the Spanish bought these Mausers to use against the insurrectionists in Cuba. So that's where Churchill first sees action, and his first fired upon is in Cuba while he's out there, and he does write about these, these weapons and sends them back to the press and, you know, for everyone to see. So we know that he sort of uh, accomplishes his mission about sort of finding out the effectiveness of these rifles. Uh, and you can see this in his writing and in his, in his dispatches. 
Um, and it, it became a real interesting thing. Now, the British didn't want to invest in the Mauser rifles yet uh, because it, they're sort of too expensive. And they had so many Henry Martini's Mark II's lying around that they thought, look, we're good to go, whatever, with the British Empire. And we got a cavalry charge. Who's going to mess with us? So basically, big dick energy, essentially. They got big dick energy in the biggest. Massive. Say that. It's like, uh, we got bigger. We got some big dicks. Just grab your big dick that's lying around. That one will do. That one will do. And charge. Literally. Exactly. With the martinis, with the old guns. The interesting is so that Churchill's first, I think, role in in the military world, even though it's as a war correspondent and, and he's just there. kind of take a note so for britain it's a time of peace he's out there literally spying on the spanish empire trying to find out what kind of guns they got because that affects the arm race back in europe right which affects the arm race elsewhere in the british empire so all these things exist in a network and and it's important to understand that so the next if if we move along uh, uh, away and I'm, I'm i am trying to move this because i know that the last time i was here we did five episodes Whoops. um so that's I'm, my fault it's my it, fault it's 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 all of our faults um wow so Churchill is body count daddy. can i just say body count hashtag daddy you're gonna talk to your finish so you're like in this for the long haul one way or the other like oh i know it. that yeah no i'm gonna keep talking <laughs> I mean, have you heard my voice, my dulcet tones? Have you met me? Those dulcet tones of Dr. Doctor. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm voice pretty, ladies. Um. <laughs> There's another expression for that, but I, it, it escapes me. I, I, yeah. have, I have somniferous tones. I'm sorry. Let me get my thesaurus again, Doctor. Wow. Shit, I should grab mine at this point. Oh, I like to I like to drop the big words because I got one of those calendars that tells me big words. Uh, he's a cheater. I get it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> word of the day, Dick. Look at him getting on his notes. So to tie wow. it back, to, to loop us back in. Um, Because I want to give Bethany an idea of the global network you kind of hinted at. So, how would you describe in Bethany terms the kind of global network you're describing? Like, in a visual, if you could visually describe it, if that makes sense. Well, let's see. Into the 19th century, traditionally, scholars refer to this era as the great game. And because the two major powers in the world, right, are the Russian Empire and the British Empire. So what you've got here is a classic situation where the Kansas City Royals are playing off against their number one enemy. I don't know who that is, Bethany. Who who do the Kansas City Royals hate? Well, the Royals, I'm honestly not, I'm not that, I'm not sure. But with the Chiefs, it'd be like the Raiders or the Broncos, that kind of thing. Okay, let's imagine the Chiefs are playing against the Raiders. And this has been going on for about a half a century. I mean, it kind of has, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Packers. It's like the Packers and the Lions, or the no, the Packers and the Bears kind of shit going on. Exactly. But the thing is, right? They're not the only players on the field. There's lots of different empires, and they're all trying to figure out what each other's doing. 
You have Germany yeah, emerging. Yeah, the, the rise of Germany whole... is huge. And like nobody's really on a side. Everybody just hates everybody. Or are we on? Side? They're all in it for their own own motivations. I mean, you. That, that, that's right. You don't see. So this is uh, traditionally this is what um, for Britain was called an era of splendid isolation because they did not try to seek out an alliance with anyone because the empire and commonwealth was their alliance. Whereas you do have alliances under the Bismarckian system starting to develop in Europe. So like all them on the on the continent is sleeping around Bethany you get what I'm saying yeah, yeah, like, yeah continental Europe is like all like all up in each other okay but then England's like meh well, we have our own we have our colonies we'll just rely on them if that makes sense so you know thinking India for example would be a yeah. common back up ho I got my ho on speed dial like we're good India's the ho on speed dial exactly and and India is you know for the sake of this argument now, this is what's interesting. A lot of intelligence historians will point to the fact that intelligence, you know, a lot of people, I think, mistakenly think intelligence starts in 1909 for Britain when MI6, MI5 are formed officially. But of course, that's not the case. It, huge, vast intelligence networks were developed in India and in Egypt in the, in, in the, through the late 19th century oh, yeah, to Egypt help really colonial administration. Yeah. Uh, and, and a guy named Christopher Bailey wrote really, really good books on you know, using sort of Indian archives to explore the, the, these things. And there's another great book, Empire of Information is one. There's another book, Martin Thomas has done that about the French Empire. I mean, and, and so anywhere that had colonial holdings inwardly into their own subjects is developing these huge, sophisticated networks of, of espionage and intelligence systems, whereas... Um, you don't see it happening so much against other other powers. So there is still this idea that, uh, you know, famously, Henry Stimson said in the 20s, uh, gentlemen don't read one another's mail. Well, Britain was reading their colonial subjects mail since like the 1850s, really since 1857 after the Sepoy Mutiny. Um, and France has been doing the same thing. But they, Britain and France hadn't been reading each other's mail officially, but of course they were. It's just that they nothing had been organized about how it was being done. It was all in private networks. It wasn't Facebook official. Like it was not Facebook official. That's correct. Yeah, I like that. I like that. They're just the, they're, the they're basically Tinder flirting right official. now. Yeah. Like nobody's slidden into anybody else's DMs yet. You get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, there's like, no swipe right on the on the espionage yet officially, yeah. as far as intelligence work. Or they were sliding into the DMs, but they were keeping it low-key. Like, it's it's yeah. defo low-key. I like that, yeah. low-key. So it's kind of, it's unofficial. Exactly. Officially unofficial. Like, that's where we're at. That's where the vibes, I can totally feel the vibes between all Like, I, it really so is. looking at each other in suspicion with England particularly, right? Like, think about it from that point of view. They're like, hey, we all understand these peeps. What What's their game, right? What, what are they up to? And, you know, you have this situation where, like, obviously Germany is, in the 1890s, is rising, but not a total threat yet. And the people aren't really clear about what Germany's going to do. And the big baddie on the block is Russia, because Russia is trying to control all of Asia, and they're afraid it's going to move through the Hindu Kush and take over India. So Britain's like, what the hell? And that's where a oh, lot shit. of the tension yep. is. And this is where the great game comes from. Or as it's called in Russian, the Tournament of Shadows, which is my next Good God, I, I love that. 
that I love that. That just that does sound like a killer album, honestly. I want right. that on a t-shirt. I want that on a t-shirt so bad. You know, guys, we need merch. We I don't know why the Body Count podcast hasn't created merch yet, but we got to do this. We do. I agree. Well, I because somebody's making a website. There's a stink bug in my whiskey. Well, that's not going to be our merchandise anymore, Bethany. We're going to put it on uh, our website, which I am building, which, as we all know, I'm a Luddite, and I'm bad at it. Hashtag bad at it. Hashtag bad at it, but that's a shirt. Hashtag bad at it. We already got that. He got that marketing mind. Yeah, he does. He very much does. Um, Kara had a good one the other day that uh, when it comes to history, hashtag I am Bethany, because in a way, yeah, exactly. somewhere out there, we're all the a Bethany. That's very <laughs> the, true. I have a very smarty smart ass. Hashtag I am Bethany question right now. Yeah. You said where we're at with the Russians. I guess, can you put time, time frame? Because I have learned a lot about them. So I guess I'm trying to put into time frame of what's going on Flatter with Romanovs, yeah yeah like where it's, it's at you know i'm so bad with dates but you know it, it it feels like we should be in certain time frame where the romanovs are some sort of not ottomans because that's before them right we're kind of in i mean no i mean no no the ottomans still exist still a thing. you're the sick man in relevant. a way but not relevant you know what i mean like the Ottomans had their thing, and then they kind of got ran out of town, kind of thing. I mean, they're, I mean, they're definitely hobbling, but they're I mean, still in yeah. town. No, right? No, no. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's a different. Uh, yeah, I mean, anyway. the, 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 it's not so the primary Right now, the Ottoman anymore. Empire is being propped up. I mean, that's a part of the great game, right? Is that the Ottoman Empire is being propped up by Britain and, and France against Russia because Russia is the main bad guy. Right, in, in from the view. Some things oh, never change. I was going to say the only bad guy. <laughs> but, and, and Russia remains the sort of main bad guy on the block until the Russo-Japanese War in 1905. Which when kind that, of, when, that yeah. was an ass kick. That took the air right out. Like, took the wind out of old Russia's sails in a hurry. In fact, it, it, was, uh, I mean, that was it made Britain beat. feel quite, quite great. Less exactly. Pretty damn good. Like, these, these guys aren't taking anything. They can't even they can't even defend themselves against Japanese uh, uh, attacks. They got nothing. These guys are a joke. They're a clown show. So the Russian Empire kind of got revealed to be not what uh, they had led everyone to believe that they were. Um, like a charade, so, kind of. Everybody yeah. just took a sigh of relief and said, "Whew! There's a people in dire need of mechanization right there." Um, that's exactly that's exactly it. which is really interesting just to go back to your point Kara, saying that they're the sick man i mean there's a great argument that i think is quite interesting by an author named ephraim karsh who argues actually you know everyone talks about the ottomans being the sort of weakest link but in fact the ottomans Russia. outlived the russian empire yep. and and the austro-hungarian empire so their primary enemies they actually outlived them not by long but you know but technically the ottomans, yeah yeah exactly so not as weak as they might have appeared. Anyway, um, so so now, and the reason I bring up all this imperial context is because Churchill then goes to India, is stationed in India, and, and again try, becomes a war correspondent uh, for the Pioneer, and um, 
was it the Alabad Pioneer and I think the Daily Mail. Is that right? Or the Morning Post. No, the Morning Post is later. Anyway, he becomes another war correspondent and d goes, uh, he does his very best to get involved in what later bec becomes known as the Malacan Field Force. And so this is his first experience of a colonial war where he's a part of the empire sort of going out on punitive expeditions fighting against kind of local jihadist tribes that today would exactly make up the Taliban, right? So you see a sort of historical thing happening here, and this is another place where Churchill gets deeply involved with military intelligence. He, so again, as a cavalry officer, his job, besides being a war correspondent, is to, um, are we, are we, oh no, okay. It just said there's bad network something going on. That could be me. I, I don't read or write. I can anyway, hear you the, well. Okay. Yeah. I can hear you well. I don't know. I just know that 20th, or 20th century historians everywhere just got hard when you got to the topic that you're talking about right now. So I could hear, maybe that was the network connection. All 20th century All historians getting hard at the same time. Yeah. So it turns out, ladies and gentlemen, history repeats itself. What? <laughs> no, it rhymes. It rhymes. Mark, Mark, Mark Twain did there. not say. Mark Twain did not say that. Just um, FYI. Oh, that's good merch idea. Mark Twain did not say that. Mark Twain never said that. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But anyway, so Churchill learns a lot about what, you know, he, he, he starts writing treatises, right, on how the cavalry should be used for reconnaissance. And that, that, that actually uh, they're, they're used in, in a military capacity to go out to do scouting to come back and say where the enemies are. Rather than just running off and charging or trying to do punitive expeditions, they should be used to makes gather sense. intelligence in the field, which makes sense. Um, Anyone that's now, played Civ Six knows that. Anyone exactly. You need a scout. You need a scout. I play as the Germans. Um, Why am I not surprised? Shocker. <laughs> fucking color me shocked i always play as um the russians inexplicably the again okay. color me shocked <laughs> what i'm hearing is we're gonna have a civilization six off y'all and i'm gonna take over the world shit <laughs> i mean if anybody's a Gandhi, born he'll be dictator the one that's like he'll be the gandhi so he'll be the one that inexplicably nukes everyone ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
The political intelligence officer needs to know the languages and the lay of the land and the people, but tactics and stuff should be left to the military side. Because if you've got one side trying to do the other side, they don't really understand what they're supposed to be doing. That's so like, he, he's calling for sort of a, That's like a PE teacher all of a sudden becoming a sex ed educator. You know what I mean? Exactly. It just, it, it just, um, no. Never the two should meet. <laughs> yeah. Jives exactly. Like it just, you're not, it's not, it's not going to work. Are you saying they're sword that, fighting exactly. in a sense? Yeah. Oh, major yes. sword fighting. Just, just. <laughs> tip to tip, nothing's happening. A little it's bit like of a filthy mind. A docking going on. Ting, 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 ting. Tara with the wind. Oh, my God. Tara, you just made my whole night. If anyone could see what Warren no, and just um, that, Jessica are I didn't doing. expect docking from Tara. That's all. She's the one that will surprise you. She sneaks in with shit like that. You don't even know. It's the she witty sneaks in. You save it. You save it for the right moment. See that, here. Was, that was well executed. You have Here just received a banter sniper award from me. <laughs> a tactical uh, scout. Yeah. Frame it and put it on your wall. Here. I know it'll be my yeah, yeah, yeah. Approved, it looks I'm a like one of these. User. <laughs> Actually, I do like the one that's like adjacent to your main certificate, like the one that's like a little black and white. That one. Yeah, it's probably an award. Don't encourage him. Don't fucking encourage him. That's my PhD. He put that bag in the cart. Y'all fucking encouraged him. Why did you encourage him? God. I can tell you about all the awards I won while I was doing that PhD. Should I break it down chronologically or should I do it alphabetically? Can we do another podcast for that? Or um it'll have to be so many people. (laughs) I've got so many people I'm tagging in this episode, by the way, just for shit like that. the, the vibe I got from you, Warren, on that was like, oh, this old thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that exactly what it was. The false humility is amazing. He is wearing a beret. And a scarf. We requested those things. So. It was requested. It was requested. So to record its body count, you must have and don proper attire. That is that is correct, and I'm I'm just ashamed that right now because it's packed away, I couldn't wear my Cambridge robes for you. Uh, in addition, I was gonna say he's gonna say something about Cambridge robes in a minute. Like, give it fucking fifteen seconds, and I there it is. Where's the Churchillian That's the question. He abandoned it. Yeah, it's over. I, when I. When I put you ladies in my bed, I left it over there on the desk. <laughs> you body count hashtag daddy. Daddy. Yes. <laughs> hashtag sweater daddy. He gets the first count hashtag daddy award. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how many times do you get to say that you had three of us in your bed? Like, come on. Like, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty. Very awesome. difficult. 
Very rare. You're now the player of the podcast world, by the way, because, you know. Hello, I ladies. Have the connection. That's I'm saying. And it's a it's a unique amalgamation of hot, too, that he's dealing with. So, like, I think it's look at him. I think it's it good. is. The well, I always the I always call it his facial Yggdrasil. It's like um, the tree of the world is on his face. It's where all his knowledge is hidden in. <laughs> and meanwhile, the producer's like, <laughs> no, this is he's like, you the know what? This is one of the more like, normal. <laughs> no, he's not. He's going to be like, this is one of the more normal conversations, quite frankly, y'all have ever had. Um, period. That's probably true. There are whole episodes, boys and girls, that we recorded that had to be destroyed. I mean, <laughs> what? There's one episode that is in the series of Warren that actually had to be completely deleted and redone because somebody. I got blackout drunk, Kara. The body like, count tape. Blackout drunk. And she <laughs> Piece of her mind, and I was like, <laughs> Jessica. I mean, we're recording right now. I, um, I think of Jessica as a very, I'm very so close red. friend, and I have never been so aggressively. I've had to, I've had to, I've had to, <laughs> I've had to wrestle with some hard customers from time to time. I have never been so. It was a tough. That was a tough, tough thing, and I had she, to keep saying, she, "You invited me here." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing in my head and I'm like seeing flames right now, Jessica. Oh, she had it was literally like a cartoon character. Like even <laughs> to this point, I still don't know what set her off because I think I was like still just trying to like blindly follow along what was happening. And then like all of a sudden just was like, So no, this is I'm why not, I'm on the show, is it? Because we have to prevent a redux. <laughs> She was just like, I'm yeah, not gonna anymore. I'm going to say what I need to say, and he's going to hear it. And not for only. <laughs> and it was, it was about 30% coherent. I mean, whatever it was she was saying was like, yeah, I, I guess. Oh, no. It's like Wolf of Wall Street. Have you guys seen that? Where he's like on Quaaludes, right? It's literally, that's what I'm picturing right now. Like yeah. him when he's like on Quaaludes, like crawling into the freaking like. Let me put it the next. Not wrong. Let me. When I woke up the next morning and was looking at a series of text messages, I'm like, what the fuck are these two assholes even talking about? They're like making up shit that happened. And then I listened to about half of that and I was like, oh, sweet Jesus. We were together, Jessica. I messaged Warren. I was like, um, she's not normally like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Bethany for the PR. Bethany, like, oh, sweet Jesus. It was, it was like having to do a podcast in in a lake of lava, is how I would describe that. And Bethany <laughs> doing her very best to be like, no, we'll put water on it. We'll put water. It's fine. Just keep going. So like this raging fire with little, like little Bethany with her little bucket trying to put it out as it c- continues to spew. Good God, Jessica, <laughs> stop it, Jessica. <laughs> and I mean, I think I was, I don't know, I don't remember, Bethany, maybe you, I don't know, I don't remember if I was nice the whole time or if I stopped being nice and started burning stuff. I, I don't remember. And adding to the pyre. We eventually, yeah, I think we started burning shit together. 
Well, if actually we you eventually- sound way too happy about that fact. You're just you're just very smiley right now, and it's perturbing. Well, eventually well, I did have a lot of fun. Hold on, Warren. <laughs> to answer your question, eventually you it became to the point where we were no longer laughing. And I think that you started to stay more quiet because every time you tried to, uh, inter, you know, put your knowledge forth, Two Jessica, Jessica was like, oh, and another thing. How about <laughs> that? Let me tell you about that, mister. And just went to school. I was like. Well, this you know what I guarantee, I guarantee what set me off was the the thing that always sets me off that Oren says, and it's because it's so very true as he sits in front of his fucking PhD. I'm sure it was, well, I am the authority. <laughs> and he is, but I resent it deeply. Gentlemen, <laughs> on those episodes, Jessica, he was fantastic. So I'm just so happy to have him. Back. As you paint him as a fucking say. Okay, fine. We're gonna go on. We're gonna go on because now we're just in, getting into in real life. I'm a real bastard. He's okay. a real hey. asshole. So to drive it back in, where were we? In the, in so, the so we're we're on the northwest frontier and, and Churchill arguing okay. about how reconnaissance and cavalry should be used. That's right. As Our well Civ as situation. Exactly the Civ Six situation, which is how we got off there, and so. Um, he he starts writing the, the arguing about this and about the role of you know political um, uh, intelligence officers versus sort of tactical intelligence officers. And he actually writes into the military magazine and and argues that this distinction should be made after his own sort of um, interviews with other intelligence officers and, and why, why they thought that was important. Uh, now in the interim here, and I need to raise this. Wait, can I ask fighting. a quick? Can I ask a quick question? So, is that yeah. a consensus among most people in the field? What he's writing about at the is time. that like a feeling at the time? The, as far as um, approaching intelligence well, um, that way, some, is that a consensus? Uh, so, no is is the answer. I think because so few people were writing, I I, I don't know if you could say a consensus had developed yet. Um, okay. But what, for instance, um, David Stafford argues in his book about Churchill and the Secret Service is that Churchill, not that he plagiarized some of the military intelligence officers he had spoken to, but he heavily leans on them in his in his in his writings because, you know, he's a journalist. Right. So essentially he's doing kind of journalistic writings. He's not trying to be a military theorist, but he does want to kind of secretly low key make his name is a military theorist. So he's like, kind of like, so, while I'm doing this, let me let me add my two cents and see if I can make some waves going on. That, that, that's that's exactly that's exactly it. So <clears throat> he after after the Malakan Field Force kind of completes its mission, he goes back to India. He plays polo, um, and so he's not out fighting wars all the time. He's also kind of living the life of Riley and and kind of living up and really enjoying colonial India which, as we know, for all sorts of problems now is, is problematic and was problematic then, particularly if you were Indian. Um, but one of the things that happens here, and this is a key thing, as you'll see in a second. Is Good understatement, Warren. I yeah, I know. Good understatement. I'm sorry. The Academy has just given me your understatement of the year award. Oh, wow. 
That's Somebody has adopted British mannerisms in his stint across the sea. <laughs> I'm. Uh... I obviously know nothing of the historical content, but you've already called India a side chick, so I can only imagine the drama with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> there is so India. much drama, Bethany. So much imperial yeah. side piece. <laughs> it's guaranteed drama. So I may not fully understand historically what's going on, but I'm getting the picture. Well, so it's interesting that you you mentioned that. So he anyway, this is real important. In one of the polo tournaments, he really hurts his shoulder. Okay. And it oh, gets God. dislocated, and this becomes really problematic and important later on. He then goes to one of the British Empire's other side pieces, which is uh, Egypt. Oh, now, shit. I've, I've heard of this side piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and Egypt and India, they, they kind of know about each other, but oh. Europe doesn't know what's going on. Oh, it's, it's dirty. They're real doing real dirty stuff. I mean, like, geographically. I'm pretty sure Egypt and India have been in on... I'm pretty sure they're all like, hey, brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, geographically, know. there's no way they wouldn't, you know what I mean, be. Right. And, and yeah, to yeah. know of that. And to be fair, side pieces usually know about other side pieces. It's just kind of like a known fact. So that makes sense. Snap. They were they were texting about it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, there was there was some pretty serious texting. At my house last. Well, he came over two nights ago, so bitch. Exploiting these resources. Exploit my resources. Get so on my resources. My cotton my production resources. is superior to your cotton production. Jump, jump on my subcontinent, would you? Jesus. <laughs> 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 all your resources. Come down. There's plenty of empire to go around, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna exploit all of y'all. <laughs> There's a little team. <laughs> oh, that's how the British no. Empire rolled. Um, <laughs> that is how the British Empire rolled. It, you know, the British Empire can be summed up quite simply by thinking of it's always sunny in Philadelphia when he's like, "Look, D, you either go get or you get got." I go get. <laughs> <laughs> I go get. <laughs> oh, I'm a five star man. I'm a five star empire Star man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. One for my. <laughs> now, Bethany, what would be the weaknesses you would think that an island? in the sea would have with having such a vast you know because obviously there are advantages to having colonies but what are there any disadvantages doctor that would have made um how to and well obviously there are you and i both know but explain the disadvantages how about that of having of having an empire no oh, no, yes. no no specifically no. how like intelligence communications would oh 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 right so they're they're no okay so uh, in terms of how intelligence develops is, you know, this creates a real issue between the colonial administrators and whom you, you rule because then effectively you're creating secret police in the same way the Stasi or Gestapo or, you know, Cheka or any of those kind of things worked. 
Um, and so you, you build up a lot of resentment. Now, th there are different models that took place. It's not the same model because the British Empire is a hodgepodge of nonsense. There's nothing, there's nothing logical about any of it. And so what's going on in India is completely different than what's going on in Egypt and how it's administrated and, and administered and, and so forth. Because technically, uh, Egypt, I mean, Sudan becomes a, a, a colony, but Egypt is a dependent, but is also a dependent of the Ottoman Empire. And so the Egypt can't sign into any legal official agreement with Britain without the Ottoman Sultan signing off. And so it, it formally becomes what's called a condominium. Um, it's and like it, a condo. It's, it's a, a condo. Ah, so good. Oh, that's so good. I was actually going to say Egypt sounds like she caught feelings. Is all I was gonna say. It feels like she but couldn't act on it. She could that, yeah. no. caught feelings, but couldn't act on it. That's right. true, and that's because Egypt's still in a relationship with the Ottomans, and has oh. been since about you know thirteen hundred. They double dipping. They double dipping big time. But they, but they see what else is out there, man. So and shit like, had yeah, fizzled, think, well, right? Maybe someone else can exploit my resources. Um. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing before we before we jump into the river war uh or what churchill called the river war and he wrote a really good book about about that and in terms of his intelligence writing his book on it, the river war isn't so much based on intelligence as it is on the sort of long history and culture of what britain was doing in egypt and it's important as, as well here to note that this is a place where churchill had worked with a guy named horatio kitchener who of course is a famous guy that from the poster, right, in the First World War. And uh, Churchill develops a real disliking of him because of his brutal methods. And what Kitchener's quite genius at is not necessarily that he's that brutal, although later in the Boer War he did institute concentration camps. That's a fact, kids. Um, so he is quite a brutal guy. But he is a real sort of like logistical kind of autistic approach to war. So one of the problems with fighting the modests through the 1880s down in Sudan for Britain was they'd run out into the desert and then Britain would follow and then they'd get lost in the desert and come back and they couldn't really accomplish anything and they would try to use the Nile. Well, Kitchener says, you know what? Forget all that. What I'm going to do is I'm going to build railways and we're going to do this bit by bit and it's going to be slow and it's going to be monotonous and, and um, sort of tactically done all the way along. And, and Kitchener goes down there as the Sardar which is an honorary title, which is essentially the head of the military. But even though he's British, he's the head of the Egyptian military, which is weird. Um, but he gets that position and he rebuilds uh, painstakingly over the course of years, the, the Egyptian military and turns into a real serious fighting force with a real serious military intelligence apparatus. And they slowly start moving into modest territory in the Sudan, slowly securing the desert against these sort of uh, the modest rebellion. And then it's at that point Churchill comes over and joins. Um, and one of the stories that's real interesting here, and like I say, his, the primary focus of his work on this is not so intelligence focused, but there is a real important, well, well, two important things that I think happen, maybe three. Uh, and, and the first one is, is that, so Churchill's out on patrol doing his reconnaissance thing. And he comes across a dervish, remember one of the modest, you know, a dervish. And he, he's so excited he's going to catch his own prisoner of war. He, he, he disarms the guy. He wraps him up, puts him behind his pony, and is going to take him back to camp. So he slowly brings this guy back to camp, only to discover that this guy isn't a dervish at all. He's actually an agent <laughs> who had infiltrated the dervish army. 
So oh, Churchill shit. had act- accidentally captured one of his own. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> it's really interesting. So he records this in the first edition of the River War that this had happened in his embarrassment. And then in the second edition, he cuts that out. And then in his autobiographical account in the 1930, he doesn't mention it at all. So he's clearly very embarrassed by the fact that he was taken in. And one of the things that becomes very clear in the book, if you read the first edition, is he is utterly captivated at how amazingly capable these spies are because they fooled him. And, you know, he talks about their bravery and the fact that, you know, Kitchener slowly closing this line. And even up to the last day before the charge, there's still spies going back and forth. And he talks about this sort of what uh, Christopher Bailey would call a kind of empire of information that Kitchener was able to build up around the Mahdi and that all his courts had had been penetrated by British spies. And that's how they were able to get all this information. Churchill becomes really interested in this stuff. Right. And it sounds a lot like what Churchill does in the Second World War with Opera- Operation Double Cross, right, where, where they take the German spies and flip them. Um, yeah. So you can see a lot of this groundwork is being laid here. Now, the next the next important thing is the actual battle itself. And this is something I know where the, 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 the body count podcast. So we know that Churchill, I think, gets four confirmed kills. Uh, uh, and I'm, I think all of them were basically at this charge. And he almost gets killed himself during the cavalry charge. And he, so he, he, he's, he takes part in the official charge. They blow the bugle, they're running in. And there's a certain moment when he gets thrown from his horse. And a lot of historians, including Andrew Roberts and even Martin Gilbert argued that if Churchill had been carrying the lance, he would have been killed, but he didn't carry the lance because his arm had been dislocated in the polo tournament. And so instead he was able to use his rifle as you know, his side piece, huh? See what it did? Um, and 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 wasn't using an actual literal lance, so he was able to draw that on swordsman who because he, he got separated from the kind of wave and got surrounded and had to fight his way out. Oh, and shit. so that's one of those amazing, really interesting moments uh, where who knows what could have happened. What's that? That's phrase don't bring a knife to a, a gunfight or don't bring a sword to a gunfight. That's exactly it. Well, he rocked Kara, up with a gun. Kara, you had a question? Yeah, a question and a comment. First off, Good. I'm not a big fan of Roberts as a biographer because I'm not sure he's objective. Both, I've read his Napoleon and I've read his work on <laughs> Churchill, and I, I have a hard time buying him. However, that's my comment aside. I do, it is intriguing because this is where you emphasized the importance of like the earlier injury. And as a result of that injury being so significantly impactful in this particular moment, that's that's wild. So no, I didn't have um, a question. Yeah, I had a comment. Really interesting. <laughs> and just to note, I mean, I don't you I don't know if you know this. There's no reason you would. I know that Jessica knows this because I talked to a uh, talked to her about it. I've I've had to fight Andrew Roberts on a number of occasions on BBC radio and other places arguing about various things. Andrew Roberts and I are, are I'm going to say, pretty decent friends. Uh, and despite all of our disagreements, have been able to sort of be cordial and nice to one another and, and respectful. I have tremendous respect for him as a historian and biographer. I think it's impossible in to read his Churchill and think this guy, you know, he, he sees Churchill in rose-colored glasses and he wants his readers to know it. 
Um, and so is he an objective think, biographer? Probably not. But I will say in his defense, he wants his readers to know it. Like it's never yes. a fucking question. I mean, doesn't an author really want though that to be illustrated when whenever they're writing something, like how they not view it isn't the right phrase, but why they would feel that way, if you will. Well, feel I justified. think that's an interesting. I think that's an interesting point because I think if you're going to write or talk about anything, the entire point is to be objective. So I guess it's just a question of methodology. Well, it's interesting because Churchill was a, a war correspondent. Okay. So you get later into World War II and 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 objectivity's out the fucking window. Well, yeah. the no. so yeah. that, that, the, one of the really interesting things here, and this is, you know, I, I should have mentioned this in Cuba, and it's one of the things he talks about in the River War as well, is he talks about how important censorship is. And, and so he learned from the Spanish who absolutely did control. You asked that question earlier and we didn't get to cover yep. it. Um, yep. the, the Spanish had a really good control over what got off the island and what was circulated around the island. But there's something more important that Churchill picked up in Cuba, and that was that the guerrilla uh, uh, opponents, you know, the, the, the insurrectionists the, were, were using guerrilla tactics, hit-and-run tactics, and they honestly didn't give a shit. You know, so the censorship, it, it paid very little part. But Churchill himself, despite being a war correspondent who pushed for open freedom of press things as a young man, as we see in the First World War, and then especially in the Second World War with the D notices, essentially That's is like, I'm, I'm closing it down. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, let's see. We talked about the first thing that the, um, hold on, I'm, I'll get there. So, and we, we talked about him, him, his shoulder, and how, how he had to use uh, the that, that piece. And then that fact, now, he got lots of help in writing The River War because, as you know, that initially the first volume of that is a two-volume book. And he used the um, – he didn't use – we went to the intelligence division and got them to help them with all the maps and inserts in the book. So he had sort of been given a blessing by the intelligence division to put and use this information that had been gathered by all these spies he was so impressed with. And he developed really good relationships with this intelligence um, operation, so much so that Churchill afterwards – his position because he thought that he might be able to to go back uh to britain and he sort of resigned out of the military right and he just he mm. thought that he could th there go in 1899 and try to get into politics which he tried and he ran in a by-election and lost but in the interim he thought oh what can i do so he was looking for a military position that would keep him in britain but he could still be in the military and we have we know from the churchill documents there are at least two or three letters where he wrote one of which was to his mother and one was to Ian Hamilton uh, and also to Elmer Haldane, who is one of his friends, about feeling out whether or not he could himself get into the intelligence branch and, you know, speculatively thinking about joining up into in formally into the intelligence branch. So what he decides instead is to remain as a journalist. And, of course, all of this tension has been building in South Africa, which brings us to the Boer War. Um, and Churchill himself joins after after his election defeat and and his speculation about joining the intelligence branch he decides you know he's making a lot of money he's one of, he's one of britain's very well-known journalists and he goes uh to the south african war to the boer war um to uh work as a journalist and he, he at that time he holds no military position and 
almost as soon as he gets there, he gets on at Durban to, to take an armored train and uh, it gets attacked by these boars. Now, I want to pause here because th there's, there's some things we need to lay about uh, what's happening in the Boer War. It's at the Boer War where Britain kept using these tactics I was talking about, cavalry charges and so forth, mm -hmm. still holding on to these old Martini Henry rifles. And the Boers had been using Mausers, and the Boers had their own very sophisticated battle tactics. It's a lot closer to what we think of as the battle tactics really. today. That, that's right. So they have snipers. They use cover. They don't march in lines in the middle of the road. You know, they... Their accuracy is a lot better from a far exactly. distance. And they use smokeless rifles. So they're, they're you know, the cavalry charge, and there, there are a few generals who've gone on record saying, look, we, we try, and the second that we get lined up, they just shoot us all down. We, we lose men left and right. We can't use this. Gee, tactic. I wonder so, how that happened. Exactly. And, and and you have this thing where the British military is sort of so stagnant, they don't know what to do with the cavalry because they can't use the cavalry how they've been using the cavalry for 100 years against the Boers. The Boers are, have very sophisticated tactics. Now, the other contextual thing you need to know about the British operation is that their, their intelligence unit in the Boer War in South Africa, in Pretoria, in the, in the Orange State, and the other sort of South African republics is trash. It's a clown show. To give you an idea, the budget there, uh, when John Arda, who, who was an Irishman who, who um, was in the British Empire, who came in and took control of it and wrote, this is remarkable. And Churchill himself writes about this in his own, in, in my early life and in his own history of, of, the, of the Boer War, which is called London to Ladysmith via Pretoria and also Ian Hamilton's March. So it's a two volume set. Anyway, uh, John Arda writes before, before or the lead up to the sort of Boer War, a a um, a thing about Boer tactics and saying, look, the Boers are better soldiers than us. It's going to take at least two hundred thousand men for us to go in here and stop them. And he sends this sort of intel based on his intelligence reports, this really accurate two volume book over uh, to to um, the people who are running the war, including the general. Um, Red vs. Buller, who, who everyone called Buller, and the uh, state, I can't think of the guy's name. I should know this. It's not Salisbury, um, who, who's basically the Secretary of the State of War. And he sends it over to him, and within an hour, it's returned to John Arda, and they say, we know everything there is to know about the Boer War. Oh, about no. Boer, about South Africa. Well, we know what's going to happen. Exactly. We know exactly what's going to happen. And Churchill himself talked about how foolish these men were because they did, they refused to listen to the intelligence. And what most intelligence historians who work on uh, the Boer War, and, the, and this is a real moment in the development of British intelligence, so you do have a lot of uh, military intelligence. It's and a Christopher Andrews of right old and new, really. Like, you it, have it, your classically trained people that just thought, okay, we know what there is to know because we've observed and we've seen and we've been colonizers even though they have to be aware on some level that they're being outflanked they're being outgunned quite literally yeah in, in both tactics and in sheer arms well, especially and then you have the nuance of the new well especially Sorry, since they, oh, no, i was just going to add like especially even as an outsider you, we've already established that they've like help we're being gunned down you know what i mean so obviously they're struggling because their war tactics aren't working. 
and they don't they know wouldn't how have this to begin with if they were so how do i put it brilliant and knew everything there was to know exactly and i mean this is what's really remarkable we know everything even though we're losing we know we don't we don't need how we got this exactly and they keep coming in and giving these guys these old rifles and telling them to do what they've always done and they keep losing and you know this eventually culminates in a thing called black week uh where lots you know there are three major battles that are lost that were catastrophic for the british forces there and 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 general buller was basically dismissed after this but here's what's remarkable john ogden put together this huge report and in it he said listen uh Basically, one Boer soldier, just a Boer soldier, is worth five to seven British soldiers. That's that's how good they are. And, of course, Buller and uh, the Secretary for War said, look, this is nonsense. Lord Lansdowne, that's who it was, and got rid of it um, and, and didn't want yeah, to listen to it. that's how you and, and, wash and he, Wait, wait, wait. This is, this is the most remarkable thing about this really accurate thing that John Arda put together. His budget, his entire budget for the intelligence division in South Africa was 11,000 pounds. By comparison, the Boer intelligence division budget, you know, and these guys are poor African farmers, their intelligence division budget is about 90,000 pounds. So Britain has absolutely no regard for intelligence. I wonder why. Oh, I wonder how that bit them in the ass. I mean, exactly. And so, God. you know, there's some really interesting lessons here. So what happens is that John Arda pro produces this book. They refuse to read it. And this book's really accurate. And he does this on a budget of 11,000 pounds. I mean, it's, it's remarkable. Then, of course, they get their asses kicked. And then John Arda gets blamed because the General Buller said, well, I never got the good intelligence. Nobody ever gave me the intelligence. And he's like, the um, book you sent back. Honestly, it sounds like your college kids that are like, do I need a book for this class? And then like they don't pass it and they're like, but you didn't tell me any of this stuff. Like, because it's in, it's in the book. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good God, yes. But there was, a, there, it, basically in 1902, I think, or maybe 1904, there was a an inquiry into this. And John Arda was then, everyone was like, actually, this guy was really good. And it was General Buller that messed it up. And uh, so that's the sort of, that's what we're talking about, right? In the Second Boer War, this is the context in which Churchill rocks up. So Churchill goes as a journalist and he's writing and he gets uh, involved in a skirmish where a, an armored train car gets blown off its tracks. And he helps a bunch of people escape to safety and then is taken prisoner. And then Churchill famously, and Almer Haldane, his friend, is also captured. Well, Churchill famously escapes and is able to, to, to kind of sneak around, and everybody raises the fact that he, you know, Churchill could be tried as a spy at this point, right? Because he's out gallivanting the, the, the sort of Boer side uh, of these republics. I could see that, yeah, from the censorship point of view. It looks really suspect what he's doing. Exactly. And he eventually winds his way back to um, the British-controlled territory and becomes a national hero. I mean, this is the real moment that Churchill becomes a household name because he then so the, becomes what he's the highest. For. Yeah, this is what he wants. He then becomes literally the highest-paid journalist in British history <laughs> at this moment. So he this is this what he wanted, on. but he also quite cleverly 
also is able to convince General Buller before he's dismissed to sign off on him getting another commission as a lieutenant. So he re-enters the military as in a battlefield commission um, in the That's South African Line Force. Exactly. Very sneaky. Now, and it's from this point that Churchill enters the, the battle and, and, and goes forth at places like Cyan Cop and, and, and sort of actively fights the Boers until the end of the war. Bethany, you, you had a question? What I'm trying to understand here is that he went from possibly being tried as a spy to being promoted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that I'm following and, and, and summarizing in my head. Okay. All right, cool. Clever. It is a little Clever bit of spin by him. Yeah. No, I mean, I picked up on that. Uh, good for him. Really good for him. He's, uh, could he's, have been really bad I mean, for him been, very quickly. It, it was the Boers that were going to hang him, not the British. I just want to make make sure that we understand that point. But Okay. Right. Because he, he escaped as a prisoner of war. And rather than, you know, because in those days the rules of conduct were if you were captured. And because he had a mm. name, right, uh, Churchill, he would have been held hostage, right? They would have yep. They would have negotiated him. And, and he escapes, and so the Boers, and you can see to this day, that they have copies of the wanted poster that was put out that asked for him alive or dead, and they offered, I think, 25 pounds for his, his successful capture and return. Um, 25 and, pounds is nothing, man. Can you imagine just being like, here's Churchill, 25 pounds, that's it? Yeah, no, I know. Um, and what, what's also really interesting is, Bad. When Churchill is in, in the POW camp, this is remarkable. He he says to the leader, I demand to write to President, um, oh, the, the leader of the Boers, who I think, is it Kruger or De, De, I, I can't remember the name of the, the leader of the Boers at this point. It might be Kruger or it might be, um, starts with a D. It doesn't matter. He writes to the thing and, and demands to be released because he isn't holding a military position. He's only a journalist. And he, they write back to the prison guards and they say, Winston Churchill is one of the most dangerous men in South Africa. Under no circumstances is he allowed to be released. <laughs> and when Churchill reads this response, he's like, well, I'm going to leave. And he did. And yet he, he, he escaped as a prisoner of war. Um, wow. and, then, and then, like I say, successfully gets back to the British-controlled side. That's bad. Uh, which is remarkable. Now... Again, he sees a lot of action in the Boer War against the against the Boers, and he leaves and, and goes and does a by-election in 1900 uh, and gets elected. So he leaves the war behind and isn't there for the really destructive part of the last sort of two years of the Boer War. I don't know if you know much about it. Is is real nasty shit. Um, Kitchener, mm -hmm. Kitchener um, basically starts putting together concentration camps. The guerrilla war becomes absolutely in incredibly mean and difficult. Uh, both sides are doing really vicious stuff to each other. It gets real nasty. And Churchill's able to leave before he gets involved in that. But while he is there, he obviously partakes in a lot of stuff. And he starts writing these those essays back again to the military magazine, offering his opinion on what should be done. And I dug one of these things out, and I, I was looking for it. I, I don't know if I've got it here with me, but he one of the things. So some of the things he argues for. There are two things in particular that are about signals intelligence, just to show that Churchill's thinking about how signals intelligence works, he, which is again a burgeoning field at this moment. 
So one of these ideas is actually kind of cool and makes a lot of sense. And I'll tell you the good idea first. And that idea was that one of the things that he came to see was on the battlefield that the communication between the artillery and the infantry was very poor. And so when the infantry said, hey, you need to bomb this hill, you need to fire on this hill, uh, frequently what would happen was is they'd go up the hill and do better than the artillery thought, and the artillery didn't have time to readjust, so they're actually firing on men. So the thing in, oh, so shit. that the artillery would be able to communicate these ideas in the battlefield that Churchill came up with was they could use certain plumes of smoke in the, in the, in the ordnance so that people would know the other artillery places would be able to look at this one artillery place and know exactly where to fire at what angle and so forth so as not to hit the troops which i, I think I, pretty in. I i may would agree with the smoke but then that gives away somebody you know you're where you're at what i'm thinking personally mm. is a baseball signal you know like when the the coaches are on the sideline and they're doing the yeah, but there are yeah. vast distances, Bethany. These are Binoc like they're, the they're far. Binoculars. But, binoculars. But, that's a, I, but, I just see you with binoculars, Bethany. No, that, that's a very good binocular. But I am glad that you pointed that out, wrist, Bethany. Elbow, now, eye, thumbs up, around the rent. Oh, yeah, that's an ally. That's an ally. Yep, don't shoot. <laughs> that's my own man. But... But He's I'm got glad a follow-up for up this. The, the idea uh, about giving away your position, right? Because that is an issue with that. But it, you could still get around it if you use the right color of plume and so forth. Um, okay. But the other idea he had, and this is remarkably stupid. Yay! This is my favorite kind of shit. Is, is, so Churchill, one of the jobs that he had as a liaison officer, which again is an intelligent thing, he would act as a courier to move between generals. And one of the problems that he identified in this paper was as a, a subaltern, it's very difficult to know how to find generals. So when you move from one general to the other, it's difficult to know their positions. Oh, no, I see. So he, came up, he came up with a system whereby general positions could be uh, known by raising a balloon. And different <laughs> colors of balloon would indicate rank, and the bigger the what balloon is, would indicate you know, general versus colonel and so forth. But at no point, yeah, at no, at what? Yeah, it's a general reveal party. It's a general location reveal. I didn't hear that. It's a general reveal party. General reveal party. At no point did he ever consider that having a balloon in the air would mean that the enemy would know where your general was. Right? That's so a t-shirt. That's so the merch. Right there. Oh yeah, general hashtag general reveal party. I saw. Um, by the way, there. when I saw those balloons in my head, I was like, "Yep." It just is on a background of a a balloon and general reveal party. Um, also, can I just put it forth that this little snippet alone is what Warren pitched this entire episode off of, and I was like, "Fucking sold, sold." General reveal party. Yeah, no, uh, just uh, yeah, general reveal party. No, this idea <laughs> signals intelligence. What? Um, if I, I need to plug up my um, computer. Here we go. I do have the actual uh, writing. He's brought sources. I'm excited. 
He's brought sources. I always have sources. So this is uh, this was published in um, the the military journal, um, and it's called "Some Impressions of the War of South Africa." It's published in 1900, and it's got my notes all over it. I'm going to find the so I can just read you <laughs> so you know how ridiculous this is. Hey, get yourself back in camera as well. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, he's done TV, audience. Yeah, I have. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that was the joke. He's been on the silver screen. So this is Winston Churchill's own words. I have one more suggestion, which is entirely my own, and which I trust you will not think I put too forward in too frivolous a mood. The great difficulty of finding brigand division commanders in the field, I think, comes home to anyone who has been carrying messages in South Africa, especially in the Orange Free State, where the extent of the ground over which the army was spread was most enormous. How are you <laughs> to find the general, you ask? You're told I saw him a half an hour here ago, but he galloped over there. It was utterly impossible in many cases for the bearers of important messages to find a hardly visible uh, 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 the different commanders at different brigades and different divisions. The general's flag was hardly ever vi visible at such great distances, and when it was visible, it was usually fired at and taken down. So, I mean, he's okay. answering his own problem, and he talks about how the heliograph was no guide, blah, 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 blah. Um, that sounds like something I would do, though, to be honest, guys. Like, I laugh, but then I think about it, and I, I, I'm the kind of person that, like, answers their own questions when they discover a problem. So I'm like, oh no, I'm laughing, but I'm like, oof, that would have been me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sending this, the memo. <laughs> the, this, this, is, this is the golden bit. The only thing that you could see in the Orange Free State at all was a great balloon. You see it 20 miles off, you knew where that was, and you knew where the headquarters was of the army. I do not see why every general should not have his own balloon. One general, one balloon. I would not suggest anything <laughs> so democratic as they should all have the same size balloon. Each general should have a balloon in proportion to his own rank in the army. You make a very convenient portable balloon about a yard square that could be carried about on a horse by an orderly and by which would ascend 200 or 300 feet and show distinctly the position of every brigadier. It may be said, would that not draw fire? Very likely it would, but a balloon's a very hard thing to hit. So he's imagining people are going to try to shoot the balloon, not the general. I mean, I'm laughing because I'm laughing because I'm actually relating to him right now in like my banker sphere. Okay, so okay, in my mind, I, it's like when you have a problem. But it's true though. Have you seen a balloon in the air? You know what I mean? Like it's hard to shoot. It's moving around. It's like one of those, those, uh, you know, yeah, those, da those dancing guys. Yeah, but in war, you're not looking for the balloon. You're looking for the enemy. Hopefully, if um, not, you need riddling for the entire brigade. I would be distracted by a <laughs> pink balloon that that would be my general color. Like, hello. <laughs> I guess what here? intrigues me is the different size balloons. I'm like. But, but see, and this is, you know, I bring this up to show you that even great minds like Winston Churchill have really dumb ideas. <laughs> Man, I relate. I'm like, I've never felt like I am Churchill before. So. These are, these are some of the takeaways around signals intelligence that I wanted to share with you that he got from the Boer War. And 
Another thing that's really important here, remember his other role was that he was a um, he was a journalist. He was a war correspondent. Now, there's an excellent, excellent uh, um, article that that has been written by a guy named Donald P. McCracken, which I also have here, uh, who, who wrote from Natal. And he did a, a sort of, I don't know, it's kind of a Ph.D. deep dive on different war correspondents in the Boer War to talk about how shambolic the system was. And bearing in mind that some of these guys are intelligence officers as well, because his, his, what he looks at is the relationship between British war correspondents and military intelligence. And some of the things that he finds out that he found out was amazing. And one of them is, is that it was utterly chaotic. You know, I told you how little money went into the intelligence in the Boer War during this phase of the war, right? So nobody knows pounds, anything. Right? Yeah, 11,000 pounds. He, he discovered that there is no single centralized list of which war correspondents were even there. Wow. It's so that means you can just write war. your name and just be like... And he, he brings there. up examples where people are like, yeah, I'm with, I'm with the, the New York Times, and people be like, okay. No, it's like literally when, when, everyone, when the teacher asks you to come up and write down your name, your friend is like, hey, well, hey, hey can you write my name down while you're up there? Can you just okay. sign attendance? Yeah, signing attendance. Yeah, and this is that's interesting though because that doesn't just happen during this time period. You see that happening in World War II as well with correspondence. Yes, I might add. So it's, no, it's no, a common it, thing. It yeah. is, but I mean, it's so at least in the Second World War, there's a system by which you you deal with it and you verify. Here, it's just like the Wild West, and so <laughs> one of the things oh, Churchill like, notices is like blazing saddles. I went and they uh, he rounds up all the the criminals to to attack Rock Ridge, and there's just a plethora of all the different groups. So it's the people not, that are saying they're covering the the war. If you yeah. imagine that, yeah. Sorry, but yeah, no, that's what. No, it, no, no, it, it is. That is that, that's very very funny. Um, but but so it, it's so shambolic and so chaotic. And Churchill notices this and notices that that's a problem. Now, that's something that I'll, I'll talk about because uh, we're, we're almost getting to the end of the main war stuff. And then I'll, I'll sum up with some final points at the end. But that's one of the lessons is that, that, that the situation with the press is really difficult. And Churchill himself had taken so much heat and so many critical letters. And you can see this in the document volumes where generals would write in and say, who the hell is this press correspondent telling us like he knows what our job is? And people were really saying that he can't hold a position as an officer and a war correspondent at the same time. And he got beat up for this in the Malacan Field Force and in the River War. So much so that, that the British Army agreed to stop allowing uh, officers to be war correspondents. Except, you know, this is one of the reasons he gave up his commission. So that's when he convinces Buller to let him back on as, as, as a, an officer again. He's still a war correspondent. And so he breaks the rules again and is basically out there making a name for himself. And he gets all this hate mail about it. And he's Can able you imagine to if you're everyone else, though, they see him getting away with something that's like not supposed to be a thing. No, exactly. And it's because of his name, really. You know, he's got this famous name behind him and nobody wants to mess with that. A third takeaway for him from the Boer War that plays into a huge that that hugely plays into his his ethos and thinking about intelligence is, and this is the same thing he saw in Cuba, the strength of a committed guerrilla movement is almost impossible to stop. 
And the Boers were incredibly powerful and incredibly difficult for the British army to deal with. And, you know, in many ways ended the era of splendid isolation because Britain realized that it was too weak to hold its empire and had to ally itself with France at the Encontre Cordial in 1904, all directly because of of its failure in the Boer War. Um, And so these are things that Churchill sees are hugely problematic for military intelligence moving forward. So after this period that, that we've gone through, you know, quite litigiously, that's not the right word, quite meticulously uh, around him being a war, there, there are, are sort of two key points that, that, that spew up in 1911 where you can see this stuff coming into the fore. And, you know, this is not us getting into the Second World War or anything, but it, it's clear to say one of the reasons, and this is something that David Stafford is immensely good at pulling out in his book, is that you know, one of the core takeaways for Churchill was the strength and power of a guerrilla fighting force. And this is one of the reasons he so firmly believed in the SOE in the Second World War and letting them go to France and just fucking raise hell and blow up bridges and do whatever was because he saw that in the Boer War and in Cuba and in the Northwest Frontier and thought, you know, just let them fuck stuff up because that's really hard to deal with. You know, it is you don't- efficient. Yeah, because then you're yeah. like basically trying to go around fixing this stuff while trying to fight. So no, it's an incredibly effective tactic, exactly. really. And this is, you know, even though he maybe romanticized it, you know, I don't think it was as effective as he thought that it was, but it is an effective way to fight a war. And <clears throat> this is one of the clear reasons that he, he did that. The, the, other, the other stuff that gets expressed that we can see early on are these, in these two moments, and they're both in 1911. So I'm going to start with the chronologically the first one and that's the 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 sydney seat the sydney street siege right what had happened was a bunch of anarchists got down on city street and this is a really historic moment because they're not just anarchists really these are real important major players some of them are anarchists some of them are communists some of them are just bad guys but they sort of take a place uh hostage um and and kind of set up and there's like a battle right in london and Churchill's home secretary at the time, and goes down and personally gets interested in this. Now, at the time, he gets beaten up in the press because the home secretary has no business at a, at, you know, at a, at a sort of police action. And a lot of people said he was just trying to make his name. But Churchill was especially interested because Churchill was getting information behind the scenes, right? He, he, he had been working with, since he um, had been colonial secretary, with people like Vernon Kell. Uh, and, and Cunningham, who was the first C, the leader of MI6, Vernon Kell is the leader of MI, MI5, that, you know, these guys were real p- serious people. They were a Latvian um, gang, and some of the, the people that were actually there, and this is why I'm, I am quite uh, fascinated by it, is the leader of this gang was uh, a sort of communist slash anarchist who was the Che Guevara of his day. And he was a man known by a nom de plume called Peter the Painter. And he would go around and put, um, you know, graffiti on stuff and, and try to blow things up. And the, the sort of stereotypical turn of the century anarchist. The problem is, historically is speaking, there was no such person. Peter the Painter is like the Dread Pirate Roberts. He's mm. not real. He's, he, he's <laughs> a nom de plume. And in fact, who the real power behind this was, according to some historians, and I'm not an expert in this, um, because some people have said that he could have possibly been actually started out as a, as a Polish guy named Peter Pokrov, who was um, a sort of committed communist and anarchist. 
uh, who was who was Polish, but who was de- who we know was, was definitely there was a guy named George Ganstein, who uh, was himself a Latvian uh, kind of a criminal who who goes on later to do stuff. But he's not even the big deal. The big deal, in my opinion, was a guy named Yakov Peters, who also some people speculated was Peter the Painter. Yakov Peters, despite sounding like a comedian in the 1980s, goes on to be a co-founder of the Cheka, which is, of course, the forerunner for the NKVD and the CIA. I mean, the the NKVD and the KGB. There we go. I was like, that's a twist. And so the fact that Churchill's out there matching wits with this guy that later on is going to be one of the major, you know, the Cheka are the people... Uh, that that form this stuff, that, and these are the same guys that go out and recruit people like Kim Philby and that kind of stuff later in the 30s, you know. Um, so Yakov Peters, and this is another interesting thing, he runs this check and and is later killed by Stalin during the purges. <laughs> so this guy's a major sort of player, and he gets away, he escapes the Sydney Street siege, uh, and it's interesting to, to me that Churchill and him Stalin. had this brief sort of moment where they were sparring, you know. Um, and I, I find that really fascinating. Now, this experience, as it relates to intelligence, again, Churchill looked at the domestic intelligence situation as Home Secretary and thought, God, this is what it looked like in the Boer War. It's chaotic. We don't know where the aliens are. We don't know, you know, what these guys are capable of. We don't know anything. And so he then tries to introduce a thing called the um, Alien Prevention of Crime Bill, which basically would put all incoming aliens, it was an addendum to the the Aliens Bill of 1905, where he basically tried to put all the incoming um, aliens on a list. And and, and one of the rule was is that they couldn't live within, I think, 10 miles of, of of a military base. Oh, God. And he uses Vernon Kell who becomes a leader of MI5 to help put this stuff together. Churchill's working on this stuff behind the scenes. And then he thinks, gosh, that's not really enough. Um, and that leads us <laughs> on to the final point here where he really tries to push through and does successfully push through with the help behind the scenes of people from the intelligence community. Um, and this is 1911. So uh, I have a question for you. Do you know what, which office Churchill moved to in 1911? Are you asking, I think by the. Are you asking us? Yeah, yeah. Who, I'm asking you who, which office. I'm sorry, I didn't know there was an interactive portion of this. Like, <laughs> oh, Jessica, I know how much you quiz. love Wait, Churchill. Is is this a pop quiz? Because I don't handle these. I don't handle. A, I no pressure. No pressure. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Churchill becomes the first Lord of the Admiralty. Ah. Uh, right. Okay. Now this is important, and this is in July. So he's been working as Home Secretary behind the scenes with Vernon Kell and Admiral Cunningham, and they're both in 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 1909 put in charge of intelligence. You know, MI5, MI6, what we would call the, that today. And it's at that point, you know, if you look at Admiral Cunningham, that that SIS, as we know it formally, is brought in under the Admiralty because Churchill himself is involved in this stuff. It's all very off the books, but Churchill's very interested in this stuff. So he tries to put it under his own purview. Um, and so he tries to push through and does push through with the help of these guys behind the scene, what's called the Official Secrets Act of 1911, which does allow for the keeping of lists, 
about where foreign people live and how close they live and keeping notes on them domestically. So it's, you have this kind of internal paranoia that really kicks off in the First World War. And all this happens in 1911, of course, because of the buildup to the First World War and the arms race with Germany. I'm sorry. It just leaves a really weird taste in my mouth. It's all I can think of is like, that's what we do for pedophiles. Like, that's what we do for for people that, you know, are, are sexual offenders. They have to register. That, you know? No, that's, that's like, I'm exactly sorry. right. That's a really awesome point, Bethany, and I'll tell you why. Yeah. yeah. There you go. It's because what, we, what you can see that Churchill's collecting here, with the help of, of Vernon Kell especially, is the very first instance of what you might think of as metadata. Oh, wow. I know what that is. And so he's collecting all that on all incoming all the incoming aliens that might potentially represent a threat if there's a coming war with Germany. Why? Why does that sound so fucking familiar? And so it's essentially, you can see him looking at the chaotic nature of intelligence in South Africa and saying, not in Britain, not on my watch. I'm going to put this shit to order and I'm going to get the legal framework to do it. And the official secret act is still in place from 1911 is still in place in Britain. And if they, you know, they can still try people as spies under that act. Well, isn't that the case, though? We have several um, laws in place with the Alien and Sedition Acts. Yes, that's um, right. So, I mean, Correct. we're not, we can't act like the UK is the only place that has those, <laughs> considering we very much use similar type oh, of... Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, like, I'm not making a moral judgment about it being wrong or right to create No, this I just thing. think a lot of people, I could picture listeners thinking, oh, look, but at, look at them. Listeners are going to, yes, and they shouldn't. No, no, they, I mean, oh, my God, the United States <laughs> has alien acts that are infinitely worse. I mean, in the 20s, they basically outlawed any kind of immigration from anywhere besides Europe. And yeah. it, that's, that yeah. held sway until, like, 1967 or something. Seriously, um, um, I guess that, what Kara's trying to point out is because it will come up glass houses, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Again, I feel a blazing saddles uh, reference coming in, like where all the guys want to, all these railroad workers is just a piece of land to call their own, and they're like, no, 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 and they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, except uh, yes to no. Except for he's going to be proved to be right in some cases and wrong in others. So, I mean, it's a it's a tricky area, Bethany. It's very interesting to me. It's very it's Hedy Lamar. Hedy it, Lamar. Hedley. Oh, Hedley. my God, yes. Hedy. No, it's Hedy Lamar. Yeah. I did an entire appearance on Potescue about Mel Brooks. I think everybody is, like, well aware at this point. I, I that That's one of the reasons I'm your infinite hashtag fanboy. Is it because oh, of your deep oh. Hashtag Deep Key Thursday. <laughs> deep Key Thursday. And Hashtag Deep, deep key, key Thursday. Look it up. It's a thing. Um, with so Deep Key Fanboy with an I. <laughs> <laughs> and Streets with a Z. Streets with a Z. <laughs> oh, I knew so you were going to do that. I think, <laughs> you know, I think that you can see the lessons, I hope, from the journey we've taken, that you can see the lessons... Churchill was posed with about the evolution of military intelligence in his youth and how it sort of got him. And this is all up just to the First World War. 
and you know, again, we can talk about the 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 the, the real importance of the learning about guerrilla fighting for the Second World War, but the other things I think he learned and implemented even before the First World War ever took place. So, you know, and these things come to much bear later, uh, much later in in his life in a much bigger way, but we can see these early seeds uh, and the importance of Churchill's relationship with intelligence, uh, you know, really as early as 1911. You know what? Really, I'm kind of pumped about, oh, go ahead, Bethany. Sorry, I was just going to make a comment. What's interesting to me is knowing when he does during World War II, having more in-depth conversation of what he did during this one, uh, kind of puts it into a little bit more perspective, I guess. Well, is I think I'm- Churchill is a correspondent, a soldier, and in some ways a bit of a spy is more interesting even than uh, than his, uh, maybe less of an impact, like but definitely more interesting. Him. Yeah. Well, he, was definitely more in, he was definitely more in the shit, but like, not like, I mean, yeah, obviously he did the cavalry and he had a gun fight. Like he was, he he kind of dabbled. Literally, he was your jack of all trades back then. He dabbled in a little bit of everything, which makes sense to what he became. Like you know, which is, well, you know, I is always, a big part of what makes him successful later on. I think you're, yeah, yeah. you're going to. One could argue. That's what I, I was going to say. Yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with that. And and to Bethany's point, I've always tried to argue. Uh, and and raised the 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 idea that there should be a series on young Churchill's life, and it would be like half Indiana Jones, half Downton Abbey, and I think people would love it. <laughs> and I've yeah, I've right. actually written a sort of tr- uh, uh, not what do they call it um, a treatise, not a treatise, uh, not a screenplay, but a precis, a screen precis, which I've actually given, uh, and maybe someday we'll turn into something, but we'll see. We call uh, it I think we. We just got the pitch for you and Richard's podcast. We we call that fan fiction, okay? Let's just, <laughs> let's just call it what it is, okay? That timing was brilliant. That was good. That's true. That's true. Um, one thing I'm very glad. I think this is an excellent follow-up companion series to you. Uh, the the first series you did. I think it's it goes very well as um as a follow-up. As always, I'm I'm pumped about that. But as we know, and as our listeners know, I'm deeply mired in Nancy Wake. And we're about to get to why this exact shit and and what Churchill is talking about forming planning is going to be important to the story of one Miss Nancy Wake. So I'm actually glad Nancy Wake. It's almost as if I should have had Warren Doctor on Nancy Wake. But he's so fancy and important, listeners. I'll come I see talk my about hand it up. I see my hand up. Oh, your hand oh. is up. <laughs> okay, so I have a, a comment to make back with the signal stuff. So um, I'm not sure if you've seen it. I'm sure you probably have. But 1917, one of the most critical moments in that movie is when he is trying. You can't hear me, can you? I can hear you. Keep going. Oh, sorry. Um, So one of the most critical moments, spoiler alert, in 1917 is when he's trying to get them to stop the attack. And when he's trying to communicate and they keep saying, oh, he's down the line, he's down the line. And when he finally communicates the message, you have leadership not wanting to stop or believe the communication 
that's coming yes. across. And I'm just thinking of that really representative with what you were talking about, kind of like the new versus the old, right? Like you have your yeah, I, people I think that that that's just... actually a very good example. And I mean, it, it's one of the things I think that people today have a hard time conceptualizing because right now, if we're in a battle, I can text my commander and tell him what the situation is. It's seriously now, it's a bad case of telephone. Like it really is. Like it's hey, you know, you start out with a phrase and it just, as it goes down, it becomes something like, no, that's not real. Like, we're not, that's not, I'm not listening to that. That's not, that can't be the true thing that came down the line. Because obviously, but you know. That's yeah, no, no. And, and I think that that, I think that that's, you're, you're absolutely right. And and one of the, you know, that's one of the recurring tropes in World War One movies. So if you look at Mel Gibson's movie, Anzac, about the Anzac, landings uh, at the Dardanelles um you Never. can see he, he's oh, spoiler also alert. A, we're gonna be talking about that with thomas well our kiwi friend hashtag i'm gonna ruin this for you uh the end of that movie basically you say you have the same process he he's a runner he tries to get the information there they don't listen uh and as a result a lot of people die and that, that, that was a reoccurring thing that happened in the First World War, but it was also a major problem in the Boer War. And just because of the mismanagement, certainly under, under Buller, um, less so afterwards, you know, when, once they got rid of Buller, things started to improve. And, but in part, the way it was improved was horrendous. I mean, Horatio Kitchener putting, you know, innocent women and kids in concentration camps because they were honestly trying to support the Boer movement. You know, it it, it 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 led to some really awful stuff. But this miscommunication, Americans, though, glass house. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yeah. Seriously, I feel like I've been saying this with every guest we've had recently because we've you know gone deeper into history than you know what's currently <laughs> deep into history. I see. We're bringing Arjun back in. Okay. Uh, anyway, what I'm trying to say is like it's. What I wanted to say was just like I will. I feel like I've said this on every episode of late. Uh, maybe it's just because of the time periods we've been in, which really doesn't take much. But I am so glad I was not born in this era, as well. Like this one, the one before, the one after. Like this is just absolutely insane to me and i still have a hard time wrapping my head around what was in people's minds you know i just it was a, and i feel like i've said this before a million times and a half but it's a lot of big dick energy like oh, watch me take over this land because i can it just it i i I'm sorry. I'm just struggling. There's no concept of the United Nations at this point. Remember, Bethany? It's every nationalist. doesn't even happen until World yeah, War I. Yeah, it's every nationalist bullshit belief for itself. Um, and again, America, glass fucking houses, if you know anything also, about I the brothers. I would also say that, that Victorian conceptions of masculinity have a lot to yes. answer for. In this, in this, thank you. Event. I'm glad yes. you tied yes. that in because I wanted you to touch on that, like how I guess that would have played a role, if you will, in in what we were just discussing. How you had the old and the new as far as intelligence is concerned, and wanting to to act on new forms of um, 
intelligence and actually, well, budget it, which would would have been nice. Um, do you yeah. do you think there was any kind of psychological reason why they wouldn't have taken it seriously? Well, you, I think that there's, you know, I mean, one of the arguments that you come up with in this is that in the Victorian sort of conceptualization of how one wages war, it, it, it this is really seen as something that is not, it's not gentlemanly warfare. And so you're not really supposed to do this. Um, and you get this, there's a real turning away. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to piss some people off here. Uh, basically, you, you have a situation in Europe where uh, von Clausewitz writes on war and everybody reads it and everybody wages war that way. And von Clausewitz hated intelligence because he thought intelligence was useless on the battlefield and that, that things will have changed by the time the person gets the information and that it was probably unreliable in the first place. Uh, and that sets the stage for all military thinking really until the First World War, in my opinion. Oh, wow. And but you also see those rhymes of gentlemanly, quote unquote, warfare again in the Second World War, specifically in the way that people initially approach the Pacific theater, if you will. It's not a European. Mm. It's it's not the same thing. So you see not that European. kind of recurring throughout. Yeah. See that recurring theme throughout history. What is gentlemanly? What is not? But the reality is there's nothing gentlemanly about war. Absolutely. I mean, this is. I mean, I would people, argue that wasn't really there in Europe then either, with how the Germans and uh, Russians treated certain ethnic groups. But no, yeah, but that's that's. I mean, <laughs> but that's not how they treated soldiers. Exactly. But that's not those are you, different things. Those are different things. Um, how they treat somebody that they view lesser uh, in a populace or in a civilian situation was not the same as they may have treated soldiers. And well, to that point, I would say that goes out the window in the Pacific. That I think the Pacific campaign is the death of what we believe is gentlemanly behavior in war. And, and you see it very much here, which I think is interesting because it's like the slow death march of what is perceived honor, which never existed in the idea of warfare, but it's a very like imperialist sort of notion to me that I find very interesting. Well, in, in, in terms of, I mean, ju just to answer that, I mean, for me, and maybe this because I'm just an old Southern boy, but the, the death of gentlemanly warfare is, is Sherman's march to the sea. Oh, but, right, yes, I mean, no, no, sir. no, I know that. But I mean, he, 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 he excels at, at war because he doesn't, listen to any conventions about war and he's like i'm gonna salt the earth you know? i'm the first person that's there and will tell you i'm a great lover of sherman he has a very fucking roman approach to fuck this noise i'm done doing this here's yeah. what we're gonna do yes, we're gonna Kara. end this shit yes kara Kara's Kara's question. oh so my question it, it comes down to terminology right right because when you when we talk about civilians and we talk about soldiers. How did early intelligence work? Did people dress like civilians or did they dress like soldiers? Because I feel like that's a distinction in how they would have been treated oh, when wow. they are captured. Does that's that make a great sense? question, Kara. So um, it is an excellent question. And it, it, number one, it depends on what type of intelligence operation we're talking about. So, for instance, a lot of intelligence operations, in fact, the majority of intelligence operations that would have involved trying to, quote unquote, pass um, would be 
colonial operations, again, in India. Um, there's a fantastic book. Everyone here probably knows who John Buchan is and has probably read or at least seen the Hitchcock movie, The 39 Steps. There is a sequel to The 39 Steps called Green Mantle. Green Mantle is, is a John Buchan book about a man. I know that you haven't, Bethany. I can see Bethany is, no, Bethany's out. But I Green Mantle's, a, but I'm here. Cool. Yeah. Green Meanwhile, Mantle. I got deep excited, just so yeah. we can say. Green Mantle's a hugely important book because. Nerd. 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 Green, Green Mantle's a hugely important book. It's published, I think, in 1914. And John Buchan wrote it. And in it, a man passes as an Arab trying to lead a revolt against the Ottoman Empire. And it turns out the man who's passing mm. is a British uh, statesman who works with a guy named Richard Henney, who's the sort of hero of the book. Now, if that doesn't sound like T.E. Lawrence to you, I don't exactly. know what is. And what's yeah, really no joke. is John Duncan was brought in to lead the propaganda, the Ministry of Information Department in the First World War. And he's working with people like T.E. Lawrence, giving orders to people like T.E. Lawrence. So, you know, you have this situation where intelligence and uh, fiction, I mean, this is one of the interesting things when you study intelligence, how intelligence is represented even as early as pre-World War I stuff, has a huge psychological effect on how good intelligence can be. So anytime, this is one of the things that really fascinates me about intelligence. Anytime you go see a Bond movie, uh, you're a part of the process. Bond is a propaganda tool, right, for, the, for, for British services. It's one of the greatest recruiting tools that they have. Anytime you watch a film or read a book, say Kim Philby's memoirs or whatever, you are, in, are stepping into the arena, and you become a part of the game. And I think that's remarkable. So any uh, fictionalized representation of intelligence is, is almost as important as the intelligence gathering operation itself, its representation. So to go back to I know that this is far afield of your question, Kara, uh, but I'm just illustrating that, that it's different if it's colonial and that most passing operations typically were colonial. But you still had people putting on the uniform the other way and trying to act, um, particularly if they had command of the language, uh, trying to pass themselves off or potentially being double agents. That kind of mm. stuff e exists. Yes, Bethany, I feel like you're. Uh, yeah, because I did. I did uh, look him up, and he's wearing something that's traditionally viewed as... Wait, did you look up T.E. Lawrence? T.E. Lawrence. Yeah. Bethany, you may know that name better as Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. So, yes, he is wearing culturally appropriated garb. That's another discussion. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was... No, 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 no. That's a good... It's a good... Trust me, it's a good whole episode within itself to talk and about. We, could, do, we could easily do that. By the way, I, I, I actually, um, based on your first series, I, I've had a lot of questions about T.E. Lawrence. So I would love for you to come back and just do. I'd be interested just alone. to listen because I feel like I'd be listening to a lecture and I'm excited. I feel like I've I also had a lot of questions from your first um, series about, and you and I both know you're going to get history hard for this, uh, Blunt. So oh God, yes. Uh, can we do an episode on Blunt? I would jump to the moon if uh, I could. Yeah, if you'll just do your article, I think that would be fucking great, actually. 
Yeah, yeah, with the the article about Churchill and Blunt. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that. you can do that. You can do. You can incorporate anything else you want to do into it. But I, I thought that was that was a particularly good article. Um, is Blunt? Not that I'm not a fan of all would, of the doctor's writings. Would but, someone uh, like Churchill would someone be prosecuted more with? Yeah, like wearing. Okay, if somebody gets captured, okay. And they're carrying messages, what, um, regardless if it's intelligence, counterintelligence, okay? If they're in civilian clothes, would they be treated? Spy. No. Okay. They're so they're similar to the John Andre in the Revolutionary War issue. Then they're treated and hung like a spy. But if they're yeah, in uniform. That's I was, okay. oh my God, Kara, you were so far ahead of me. I was going to say the Andre, or the, the uh. Andre oh, Robin. you know, he's my historical so, hottie. So, um, you know, Kara and I have the same historical hotties listeners, just all so we them. all it's know. The same list John of, Andre it's the same list. is heavy on that list. The gentleman's spy. But but it, it, I think that, that raises a really interesting point. And, and earlier on, Jessica said this, and she was right. There's no sort of international law governing any of this stuff. So... You know, if you were you know, because it was ungentlemanly to be a spy, if you're caught being a spy, death. You know, that's pretty much an accepted norm across the board, whether you're in civilian clothes or not. <clears throat> There's no waiting to be traded at that point in yeah. time in history. Um, I suppose. I just look up your Andre, or John Andre, that you guys are all like having a haughty crush on. Was he hanged or something? Yes, he yes. Hangs Spoiler alert. Spy. Spoiler alert. We're, we're not going to get talk into that. Spy we're going to have an episode on Don he Andre. Is not. He is on my not list. Sorry, you guys have No, no. Jessica, I'm about get, to rage. Get away from me. Get away from me. Get away from me. No, no, no. no. First Be off, gone. it depends on the portraiture. Number two. Number, never mind. I can't even. I can't. No, nope. we're not going to get into Andre right now. We're talking about no, Churchill. No, but uh, Andre was Churchill old. a little bit of a babe? Let's look up some early Churchill pics. Jessica. Oh, young looks, Churchill. Looks like oh, early Churchill. Him on that. Wait, horse. historical hottie rating. We have to get numbers from all three, all four. I give him a freaking young Churchill's a seven. I would have climbed all over that. Hey, shit, damn. Hey, can you look up young Wilford Blunt and tell me if he, he's better than Churchill, please? Hold yeah, on. he's pretty delicious. I'm sorry. He is. There's some young Winston Churchill. Okay, so then the next one is who Blunt? Look up Wilfred S. Blunt. And you'll see a young, you'll see he was one of the first photographed people in, in Britain. He was, oh my he was God. also out of his goddamn mind, but in the best way. Oh my God, this one of his beard is legit. Like, please. Yeah, yeah. he's delicious. What right, is the hashtag history daddy? What's the Can I just say Churchill looks like a, a receiver, but not a giver? That's all I got to say. So <laughs> it'll be a six. Oh no, I'm going to give him a seven because I think he's a low key giver. A receiver, definitely, but I think he's it's a, a power bottom. Giver. He, he is, is a power bottom. power bottom. He would, be, he would yes. totally be, yep, he would be on the bottom, but just out what? of laziness, to be what? honest. Inconvenience. Like, he's the kind of horse that's going to ride you, if we're going to put it in, like, those kind of terms. 
Why does the modern day, like, I'm assuming, drawing of Wilford Blunt look like, I don't know, a Newt Scandamander, like, on Fantastic Beats? Compare, it like, does not look like Eddie Redmayne. <laughs> not at all. But if he did, I'd be all on board. At least he faces the camera or the portraiture, unlike Eddie Redmayne. But no, um, I would very much love that. Warren, if you wanted to come back and do T.E. Lawrence, and then if you wanted to come back and um, I would actually like Blunt before Lawrence, because I want to, you know, I love yeah. Lawrence. Because Can I think that's another the part next yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that Blunt's the next logical step off of what we've talked about as far as understanding imperialism and an early sort of spy craft i think that's yeah. probably the next step is to do um all your your work on blunt and i it ties in heavily to the period that we're talking about and what we're talking and what we've talked about with you so far and then follow up with lawrence i would actually love that that makes do it, that makes so. really good sense to me i really like that i would love to do that yeah because i do feel like i have a, a, a lot more i was gonna say a few more and my ma- my mouth literally was like, no, a lot more questions about, <laughs> just about, uh, you know, other figures you've mentioned. So I, I am I would love to have you back in and, and uh, pick your brain. Oh, and, and well, live more beyond way, signals even. Yeah, yeah, in a way, I think Blunt kind of ties into that low key spy craft in a way. Uh, thing that we're talking about here, not spy craft, but low key intelligence. Um, yeah wittingly unwittingly uh i i very much when you look at his life and his different roles that he played i mean what may or may not have been undoubtedly he contributed and i mean his his views are surprisingly opposing which i find so interesting about the guy but um yeah i think it definitely ties into what you've just talked about here i think the next logical step based on what you talked about before in your series, this ties directly into it, then I think we should very much talk about Blunt. Yeah, because it has an effect on Churchill, obviously. Both of them, Churchill. actually. Churchill. Yeah. Winston Churchill. <laughs> Are you doing the final countdown? I yeah, she is. Song She's doping us. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what happened, but you got the joke. Actually, there were a few different things because there is some stuff I texted you about the other day that I was looking into that um, I think you're, you're probably more qualified to talk about when we get into true spy craft. I won't say the name of a certain gentleman that kind of makes a disappearance um, when there's a, a certain figure in Britain and a certain sub that's a below water so there are a couple different things i want to talk to you specifically about that i was going to write up myself that i think that uh, you're far more qualified to speak to um, jessica you know was I, that your terminology to avoid bethany googling something yeah it was because i don't want her to google it i want her to be completely surprised see and that's I the thing bethany you ruin be it if you if you google it that's why I did a, you could have done a hand check. My hands are not on the computer. Okay. 
I'm not. Um, it's also for our listeners because we have 30% of listeners that when I said the name would instantly know who the hell I was talking about. And then 70% um, are going to try to Google it. And I, I don't want anybody to, I want it to all be a blessed and wonderful surprise. Here's the thing about the uh, 70 percenters until you can until you continuously talk about it and everything it's gonna we you you need to literally thoroughly confuse us before we finally look it up okay so i wasn't there yet so that's why i didn't i hadn't I didn't. that's my absolute goal you know like maybe maybe warren should have probably been on the soe uh maybe i'll rope him into the later date nancy wake stuff especially uh hell yeah we're going to now that we've crossed the Pyrenees and um, this next episode is, is going to be a bit dull like the others, but it's laying a groundwork for who Nancy very much becomes. And that's going to tie Half my questions would be Warren questions. Well, it's going to tie into everything that Warren knows, unfortunately. And I'm not going to be able to answer about fucking half of those. So that so might be, be something you're open to being on Nancy Wake 4 and 5. I might need your help. You mean three? Four. Yeah, I'm happy to help. I'm here for it. Apparently okay. there's three, four, and five now. <laughs> you know I got you back, girls. I know you got me back. Um, sorry, really guys. Hyped. Like I said, I, I dive too deep. It happens. I like to get no, deep I have so many more history. Oh, Jessica, you did it too. Both you and Bethany. I did it because I love Arjun and I have to plug Arjun since he's going to do my our Ides of March episode. Oh, Ides don't spoil it. Now some fuck's going to recruit him. Ha! The hell they are. Ours will still do, be better. Um, so what we've done um, with our last few guests, Warren, is we like to know um usually podcasts but i know it's not your particular thing somebody's work you're reading somebody's something that they've written like an article or maybe a podcast you've listened to that you're a big fan of their work right now something that you've very recently gotten into very good question um so it's interesting just because we've been talking about T. Lawrence this is fresh in my brain and annoyingly uh hold on i'm going to look it up because i don't remember the title of the book so i'm not this isn't the, the, the greatest answer in the world but i because i have to review it and i've been reading it uh oh let's see it, it's just come out do 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 if it's what uh, i'm thinking like made its way to my reading list what can, can you get What's the, it's like, it's sort of like Lawrence on War or something like that. Yes, I don't know. You may have to Google it because I know what you're talking about, but I couldn't tell you the. And it, well, it's a really interesting, so it's a really interesting book and I, I'm, I'm reviewing it at the moment. It's, it's fascinating because what it, what, what makes this interesting, I mean, every brother's written a book about T.E. Lawrence because he's sort of endlessly fascinating Lawrence of Arabia on war the campaign in the desert 1916 to 1918 nope wait that's no say it. that title again sorry I don't think that's it Lawrence of Arabia on war the campaign in the desert 1916 to 1918 yes, that is sorry. it 
that's, that is that's it. correct. Yes, it yeah. is it. Okay. That sounds like an interesting read. Um, and w what's really interesting about it is, is that most books about T.E. Lawrence look at T.E. Lawrence because, you know, there's all this like cl closeted homosexuality and he's clearly, that's clearly going on and he's clearly weird or there's the literary studies about Seven Pillars of Wisdom and they're, they're, everyone tries to come at it like biographically, right? And what this scholar has done, and this is what's innovative, is it's like, look, I'm not even interested in him as a person. That, I don't give a shit. Out. I care about what his argument is around guerrilla warfare and but how you utilize. It purely focuses on his, like his literal, like campaign in the desert, I feel like is probably a, an excellent title. It's just purely about, it's not about the person itself. I agree. It's, exactly. Um, and so I, I think it's a really, I'm going to say refreshing approach because it's not, you know, bogged down and all this, you know, because half the stuff Lawrence said isn't real, uh, you know, and all, all, you know, all of it. It, it's unclear exactly how much was that that lol guy making it up for the American audience, and how much is T. Lawrence, and you know what exactly he was up to. Nobody knows for sure. Nobody's gonna know because the the people who are there watching, like Richard Meinhardt's Hagen, were also liars. And so you have a whole. I'm sorry, it just feels like a Team Edward, Team Jacob moment right now. Hagen, <laughs> Christ. Okay. I mean, I know it's. I know it's a horrible reference. I'm just trying to make it relatable here, okay? It's just, it feels incredibly... Uh, it's a lot of he said, she said kind of shit. Yes. Um, That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so why this book is refreshing is because the author's like, I don't give a shit about any of that. What I care about is what he actually said about warfare and what he did in war. Wow. Oh, look at us. Same fucking shit in her reading lens. Love to y'all. Oh. Oh. Okay, so I want to know, Kara, what's something you're very into right now? Mm, I got two really good ones. Um, A History of Italy, which is terrific, and it's such a fucking great way to listen to. Uh, honestly, Warren, listen to it. It's really good. He lives in He's Italy. He's really good. Yeah, I, I know. he's just really good at presenting sources in such both the. So basically, he does it chronological. He'll have like bonus episodes where he throws in something modern, and he chronicles it from like the fall of like, I would say, the Roman Empire. I mean, he dabbles in it, yeah. but like where it really picks up to me is like your early, like your Dark Ages period. In quotes, I put because it's a, it's a time period i've never dabbled into and hearing him just he he has such humor and such a witty way like he doesn't have to be overt like he's just he's subtle he's, I, he's like you he's, he's an his, understatement kind of person i call it his western realm question mark period that uh, <laughs> i really enjoy yeah um yeah. i also really like there's a podcast called it's a con it's a continent and basically, um, the two hosts, they take different stories from countries in Africa and they examine why it's important to talk about these stories and not collectively write about Africa as a continent, which is a yeah, huge problem. It's, it's something that's still, I think, a major problem because if you go into a Barnes & Noble, I guarantee you, you're going to see a section for Europe, specific countries within Europe, and then you get to Africa and you have these giant, like, if you're lucky, books pertaining to it, but it talks about it as a continent. And so, for example, 
they talk about Mugabe with Zimbabwe. They talk about Sankara. They talk about um, Angola. They talk about South Sudan and the forging of it as a nation. It's just really things and that we don't think like, of. It's not like a sweeping history of colonialism. No, they're easily. Yeah, and I want to yeah. clarify. These are like 30-minute episodes. And there's something that are really easy to get into. Like you can play this, you know, play an episode and it'll make you actually probably end up researching inadvertently and going into a deep rabbit hole. But it's a good way to like kind of brush up on very relevant history and very recent in many cases. Um, not only that, but we have a listener now and a follower that's um, from Africa that's taken Kara and I to school on several different misconceptions that we both Ooh, have, I where, think. Yes. Uh, actually been very, very good <laughs> for both of us and something I've been very into. Um, I think he's. It, it's a lot of great insight, and that's something I appreciate as well. Bethany, are you listening or reading anything? That's historically relevant. I know what she'll be reading soon. I know what she'll be reading soon, but I'm so proud, guys, of Bethany watching um, Sakara, and we will be talking about it on Patreon because Bethany got deep into it, and I want to talk about it with her, and we're going deep to do into it. that too. Honestly, deep in that fist in that tomb. <laughs> it's a dusty in that too. Honestly, I feel like that's all I've talked about on these last episodes is like the fact that I've watched a video of historical content. Hold on. And honestly, I've already forgotten a majority of it, you know, because, you know, uh, my brain needs to process everything else that we've been discussing historically. And with everything going on in present day is also like, wait, what? Anyway, I would love to actually do something, you know, and we could totally let our viewers our viewers <laughs> listeners know that um i would love to do a, a live reaction to some of these historical videos that i know nothing about because i made the mistake because jessica you recommended my gym my gym days you know where i go and work out and look at hot guys anyway um I decided to watch uh, a subtitled video of tombs and and digging them up. And let's just say I was like, what? <laughs> On the treadmill, okay? And the person, like, you know, safe distance away with a mask on, okay? Did, like, a snap neck, like, like. You okay, bitch? And I'm like, bitch, why are you being weird on the treadmill or the elliptical? Like, sorry. Um, they just discovered this guy, and I'm pretty sure it's not even his tomb. Spoiler alert. <laughs> like, hello, drama. I'm like, here for it. And I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry. I forgot where I was for a second. My favorite thing in the world is to watch Bethany watch docs. Like it's it's just the best thing in the world. So I'm very excited. Uh, once we're through with having a guest a fucking night, we're definitely gonna get to that. You know, when we have a life again, guys, which won't be till the end of March. Um, uh, April. 
I actually have something that's going to be relevant to a guest we have on um, because I was talking with uh, the host today. Again, Cauldron Podcast, but it's going to be Josh that we're going to have on in a few weeks um, for a Napoleonic War series. Actually did a really great appearance on that, and I am not going to spoil it. It's the it's the two episodes at the top of the Cauldron podcast feed that I think are fucking excellent. Um, this is a fun podcast that they go through history battle by battle. Um, it's not chronological. It's just really cool, like moments in history that are specifically. And more than that, I love that it's not about goddamn World War II, because if I have to hear one more fucking thing about the Second World War, I am just going to, uh like, like not I, 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 right and not gonna lie from a if you're from my historical side of things it's a lot to take in but yet they both both josh and um um jimmy, jimmy. take us jimmy. On, take us on a pretty educational r- realist not realistic like um relatable journey on on things that i never thought i would actually be interested in ever so it, it definitely, I can't wait to. All Bethany but, knows about Napoleon is I get real dramatic on fucking Waterloo Day is what I call it in my yeah. life when I like sling oh, around yeah. Yeah. like on Napoleon in exile, which is just an excuse for me to get drunk and lay around and be a dramatic, really. Meanwhile, I'm more like, I'm not a huge fan of Napoleon. I genuinely, like, I'll be open about it. Like, I can recognize the significance in him, but I'm not. I don't I'm even not care. a fan. How dare you? I don't even care. If you, <laughs> no, no, no. I don't even care if you like him or not. I'm just here for the fact that that is your emotional connection to alcohol. And I'm, I support that. I'm here. Wait, for- <laughs> you support the alcohol? That's what I'm hearing. It certainly supports mine. Um, but I just want to plug that again. Go listen to the last two episodes of Cauldron Podcast, and I'm not going to spoil any of it because I don't want to spoil any of it. I want you to kind of be surprised when you go in. But somebody that's going to be a guest on our podcast in a few weeks is on an episode there, and then it's followed up by the content on the battle itself. And I, I was pretty – it. I'm not easily impressed, but I was pretty fucking impressed. Let me put it that way. Um I went into it expecting not to be, and I was uh, kind of blown away by by what he brings in and what he brought for Josh. Um, so I was really into that. That being said, Warren, Dr. Warren, Doctor, which get it right, just get it right. Yeah, perfect. Fucking degree Warren Doctor. Where do people follow you? Oh, you? <laughs> a slow pan. Listeners, so you know, he floated to his wall of fucking disgusting fancy pieces of paper in frames, which I call his multiple degrees. And uh, I love how slow it was. It was just like a slow. Again. Oh. It was a slow. Oh, Jesus. Warren. <laughs> This is why he will always remind you, ladies and gentlemen, if you get in a battle with him, he is the fucking authority, as we all know. He's the authority. The arsonist has shaped feet. Like, I'm sorry. 
side note, I swear to God, Warren, I would have went to the jury and defended that the anchorman said ostrich, and you proved me wrong. So the degrees stand in my book. Uh, uh, that's what I call an inseparable know-it-all. Um, just so all of you know, we were doing audio warm-ups to be ridiculous before, and um, Warren proved Bethany wrong on an audio warm-up. It's got to be right even then. Uh, so, Warren, go ahead, plug your book again, and I dare you to remember what's after the colon, but go ahead and give us main title. It's uh, Winston Churchill in the Islamic World, colon, Orientalism and shit like that. <laughs> what is it, Kara? Because you have the book. What I have is... it in my actual hands right now. Yeah. Is it imperialism, um, Orientalism in the Middle East? Did you actually leave out an entire word of your title? Yeah, you left out entire. I'm cracking up. <laughs> okay. So, so Churchill in the Islamic World, Orientalism, Empire, and Diplomacy. I left out Diplomacy. East. Oh. Which or makes me giggle. Um, which I might add is rather a key part of your book, sir. Yeah, it is. <laughs> actually an instrumental part of the book. But um, yeah. yeah, no, it's I'm excited about it. I got it. I got it. Uh, no, it's, um, uh, I'll, I'll plug it as somebody that's read it. Uh, guys, it's highly relatable, highly readable. It's very highly relevant. Highly relevant right now, if you will. I, I think if you want to understand a lot of what's going on in the Middle East, this is probably where you start. Um, but also very readable, relatable. Warren's very succinct. Um, it's not flowery horseshit, and it's definitely not to like tug his own member like a lot of uh, academic works tend to be. It's going to be something. <laughs> it's going to be something that you very much enjoy. Uh, and you're not going to be bored by. I can't suggest it enough. That being said, now that I have like verbally blown you enough, doctor, give us where it is that we follow you at. Can you follow me at uh, at Warren Doctor on Twitter or Warren Doctor on Instagram if you just want to see my face? Lots of pictures of my face. If you can watch him Either. being pretentious in real time, which is <laughs> a lot of fun. And you. <laughs> Scenery, actually. I, I will reiterate. If you want to see some beautiful uh, landscape scenery. He is getting quite good at photography, which he does not need, like, any further top off. But, like, yeah. He, he has notches in his belt. Like, Warren, like, slow down, man. Okay? Like, <laughs> all right? Like, how many, how many holes do you need, sir? Oh, all the holes. I need. I need all of them. All the <laughs> need them all, and then some. You're the guy we don't want to virtually invite to the party because you're like, ugh, that guy. <laughs> no, no, Warren's cool. No, Thanks, Warren. Thank you. Yes, Jessica, you're you're full of shit for teasing him because I've I've definitely seen like a lot more pretentious people in his position and he likes to talk to people number one number two he answers questions and number three he actually listens to questions unlike many people i think that reach a certain stature so jessica Aww. be nice he's he's very appreciated to the bethany and Kara's out there his ego just inflated 
ten yeah. fucking fold. Yeah. There'll be no dealing with him tomorrow. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's going to eat you all alive. It will. It's like a fucking. It's like an Alan Moore swamp thing. Only the ego version. And now you just fucking fed it, Kara. My God, what have you done? No, but so everyone yes, that's on Twitter, follow him. He is a blue check mark, and. You will miss out on some pretty cool hashtags if you don't follow him, which it's I might really add cool. for all Jessica's bullshit. She totally participates in it. So don't make you think she's innocent in the ego feeding because she's not. I but think Jessica might low key like me, guys. Hashtag deep key now. Tuesday. Hashtag, hashtag deep key like me. Hashtag deep key like him. Also, he has some great stuff on there. Uh, Hashtag <laughs> So when she records, all of her uh, hatefulness comes out. Now, Kara, go ahead and plug where we uh, follow you. And then please do plug your own person. Uh, I am literally project. exhausted by plugging me. Um, but I'm exhausted but I'm going to make you do it every time or else I'm going to have to do it. And do you think that I want to do it? Okay, so, suddenly I'm assertive. Um... <laughs> So, <laughs> Ready? Uh, suddenly, okay. suddenly, suddenly, I feared a spinal tap. So, um, you can oh, find me <laughs> on Twitter at Kara Didamizio, and you can find me on Instagram, which I do not use very often, but for some low key travel vibes at Kara.Didamizio, hashtag wannabe influencer. Um, no, but for real, you'll follow me primarily oh, on those right. two. Um, and then I also run um, a history community that I founded back in 2019 um, geared at generating history discussion for all levels of folks. So I'm talking about your casual interest people that may have developed an interest in, in undergrad or even high school, but never actually utilized that. Um, your Bethany's as well, and all the way up to people that have study and utilize history in their professions. And that are published authors. And what I like about it is we'll have rotating themes of discussion, sometimes broad-based, sometimes specific, like Ptolemaic Egypt. And we'll introduce people with both a mixture of info and actually sharing sources where people can find information in an accessible and educated manner. Because I think part of the battle with history is communication. Mm -hmm. And it's not that there's not enough communication on history. It's about accurate communication and presented in a manner that is user-friendly and accessible. So there's two key things we focus on in Time Travel Talks, accessibility and history communication. And those intersect and develop a pretty good community, I would like to say. Um, we haven't had any um, weekend long ones. We're, we're in the process of revamping what we want to do because we have some pretty exciting stuff coming up. Um, but I also run a Discord server for it, and um, it's podcast creators, authors, armchair historians, undergrads. We have a couple yeah. folks that are about to apply for their PhD. 
um, Barry's in there. I'm not sure he knows he's in there. Um, so, and then we have Jessica that lurks. So same with Bethany occasionally. Um, but in any case, I, I, I'm always happy to talk with people that would love to become a part of the community because the biggest thing is if, especially if you're a history content creator, we really want to amplify good content and quality content and give it an audience. And that's the other thing I'm really passionate about. So that is the end of my spiel, so to speak. So y'all plug your stuff now. Well, and I actually, Kara, I did want to say real quick, I, as the, well, I had the majority, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, it's not about so much as communication. I think I would argue it's about remembering in a sense, uh, because we've said it before, this has actually been a motto in our podcast, you know, is that it's not, you don't hate history, you hate the way it was taught to. And it's the reason why it was taught to you, you don't remember. So because, and you know what, maybe I'll retract it. It's not that I disagree. I think there's a bigger statement, like, because we don't remember, we don't communicate. Until, yeah, I think that's complimentary. Like, until of importance comes along and we're like wait uh have i heard this I, before what, i think why? what you're essentially trying to say is names and dates are nothing it's more about concepts and you've learned concepts and you retain concepts very well bethany i would i would say and i think right. most people right and it comes down to the fact that we're i know deep down obviously because of the way history has been taught that dates are important i know this because we've had guests you know talk about dates of history that i'm like very oh, far bad well yeah very very far thinking. and and it just kind of makes you go you know not not saying that i should say this out loud but i feel like i should like why is it important and then you hear what they're discussing you hear what's happening and you're like wait what century are we in again what you know that's important that's really a hundred well no important. i think that's a good point because what you're ultimately saying is anything from early modern forward you definitely see rhymes in our society today and you've really picked up on early modern to modern to current context recently right. and it kind of puts like a weird taste in my mouth only because i'm not a historical i'm not somebody that's like oh history it's relevant look at i should note you know it's not something that's in the forefront of my mind so when things like this happen it's like i i actually think that that's why i'm going to be more adamant in discord kara is that when i have a question yes. wait i'm gonna what? cry i'm gonna cry i just heard the magic words holy shit which is when you have a question don't ask me because i'm a dick go to the discord and everybody's happy to like like Just let me tell chime you, in. Adam nice. will be Adam will be so happy to answer your questions. Sorry, Adam. Um, I volunteered you, but I know he I'm gonna call he's you seriously a resource well, for me Adam, too, though. God knows you answer fine. And I know that you promote uh, you know, equality. <laughs> I love saying that in your in your Discord, but I do sometimes feel like I'm going to ask most like I said, like when I gave in our group chat, you and, and Jessica, we have a group chat. Where I said the 17s, you know, 76 historical, 
you know, that whole thing that was. I was really- so proud of you for identifying bullshit. Can I just say that? I, I, I thought I was too. I and feel like I, we've I, done our job because you call out bullshit. And I was like, can somebody please tell me why I'm I'm feeling high bullshit? Like I feel something that I've never felt before. Is it called historical awareness? Is that the name? Like, is that awareness? Um, it's called being informed. It's called the high of um of of knowing what it is that uh, real historical content. It's it's the high of being clever, Bethany. And now you're in that group. Yeah, but I didn't know, no. So it was one of those things where when I asked the question, I was like, I need comebacks at this point. Like, I need... Slip into Warren's DMs. I'll give you some comebacks. (laughs) Definitely. Um, So I was very proud of that question, Bethany. I think we're achieving what it is that we want to achieve. Um, both in this podcast, and I think Kara and Lee are achieving what they want to achieve. One of um, doc- uh, through time one of the talks. doctor students is actually um, in the Discord, um, Doctor Level. Oh, Chris, right? Chris, yeah. Oh, yeah, Chris, Chris. Level. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is actually incredibly helpful and resourceful, Which, and also got just go ahead hours. and let plug Fireside Chats. If you have yes, not I really love so his, his big thing is Rosa Luxemburg because he um, complimentarily to the war correspondence um, a bit that yeah. we talked a little bit. That's that's really his passion. And uh, check out his site. Actually, give me a second, because he actually is doing something right now with the pandemic. Uh, yeah, trying really to collect quickly before we wrap histories. up our plugs, let's do plug. Um, do you want me to go level shit? As it Hold is. On. It's really good. Um and yeah, I feel so, like I forget, don't plug him enough on this podcast. And he's so massively supportive of us, but um, uh, really it should be yeah. we that support him because his, his shit's really great and it's bar none. Like, he, he, he's an excellent, excellent. He, he's an excellent historian. And he's so nice. He really like, is. so like, pleasant, like easy to talk to. Like if you have a question about what he's covered, because um, like I said, he's talked about subjects in his fireside chats that complement a little bit about what we discussed today he's gladly happy to answer um you can find him on twitter at christoph level um you can find his website christopherlevel.com and on there um you can actually find history fireside chats on anywhere where um spotify's or so not spotify <laughs> podcast or found website agree, sorry. as well um yeah really good website on- on his website, and this is something that I wanted to emphasize because I know he's mentioned it several times in the Discord, but um, he yeah. is collecting submissions for accounts uh, from people and their experience um, with with lockdowns, with COVID-19. Um, so he is still collecting oral histories for that. He really wants to, to see that. So please, please, please check out his page if you feel like, you know, that you, you would want to contribute something. It looks like as of now, because I just checked, he still has it open. It's on his Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's his pinned tweet. So do check that out. It's an important project. And I think once he's done with this project, we're going to see something that's very unique and uh, something that's very interesting just based on on what I know about it. In Does that make itself. you feel proud that uh, one of your own is just like blossoming? Well, Chris has always been excellent. I, I don't know if I would call him... I don't know that I ever formally taught Chris, um, 
but we, we were but part of the same, the same circles. Yeah. 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 We were in the same community. And I mean, I, I always, I, he, he's a brilliant historian and he, you know, I think I have acted as a mentor to him in terms of publishing and that kind of stuff. And in fact, I, well, I don't, I don't want to give anything away, but he's working on a project for me, a written project um, that, that involves scholars in the U S and the UK. The formal proposal hasn't been planted yet, but we've got together a really good network of people uh, writing about leadership, and um, just to tease him a little bit, he is doing Rosa Luxemburg, so he's very. I knew it. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, um, we'll, anyway, we'll just have to see how that how that project evolves. It's still a moving, it's a slow moving beast, but it's coming together. But but Chris is uh, he's an excellent scholar and historian, and his work on newspapers was really remarkable. The Second World War, yeah, was what his, his thesis was on. I like my comment. I'm like, he's really nice. That's like all I, know, I, I Yeah, I want to put out for people. He's as approachable as Warren is. Feel yeah. free to ask him questions, whatever. He's highly approachable, very engaging. It's it's somebody that you should definitely follow and definitely engage with as well. And I feel like we haven't really plugged him enough or as much as he deserves based on uh, his interactions with all of us. And he's just, he's a fucking sweetheart. And uh, truly brilliant uh and and does just great fucking work like can't to say give enough you an example thing. of how he the kind of person he is um recently on the discord we have somebody that's applying for a phd program and i had a mini panic attack i was like oh my god i'm underqualified and as an admin i'm like racing around like okay who can i message oh, so yeah. i was like so i messaged him and i said look I know you helped, you know, this person with something before. Would you mind? I know you're only if you have time, right? He said, I'd be more than happy to talk to her. And that tells you the kind of person that he is with all these projects that he would be willing to see because she was, this person was also having some, a bit of a hard time, like finding sources with the lockdowns um, that she was needing in her particular proposal. So I, I just thought that blew me away. It just, how kind he is and it's a testament to that all academics are not assholes and if yeah. that's something like if if um the doctor the illustrious doctor with the certificates in, in front of him <laughs> that we're behind his yeah. illustrious nah, head and his illustrious doctor doctor and um can make the average right can make the average joe feel like you know somebody worth while it, it says a lot about academics personally I so. important for it that's how sometimes chris moves me chris literally moves me to tears with how supportive he is and um, no joke i know lots of uh like uh, i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna get red faced and, and weird about it because i'm always kind of bowled over by his kindness uh to to a lot of are you crying or are you tired it's it's really great um me both of you. <laughs> I, I was just wiping yeah. stuff out of my eye. I I'm sure he was. Oh, Chris! Oh, <laughs> oh Chris! No, Chris, know. he's he's a great guy, and I mean, he's, he he is genuinely, aside from his his him as a scholar, as a, as a man, he's just a great guy and very helpful, very kind, and you know, I I I'm glad he's my friend. Um, he he. Uh, He's definitely not an asshole like some academics. Not like me. I'm an asshole compared to Chris. And uh, <laughs> everyone's an asshole compared to Chris. Compared to Chris. 
uh, I kind of want to give him his sainthood. Like I'm, I'm prepared to write whoever the new pope may be. Um, <laughs> but Did then, you like, try like, to That's not to say that he's not uncritical. I mean, he'll give you the business, but he'll do it in a nice oh. way. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah he'll he'll it nicely, but in a helpful way. Yeah. So all that being said, I just I can't. I, I always forget to plug fireside chats and it's something I legit get into hardcore parkour um, because I think it's great work. And uh, uh, we all know I'm the first person to pull down my pants and take a huge shit on academia here. It's kind of my like shtick, if you will. Present company, not excluded. Um, <laughs> but uh, that, that's the first thing I do. But there are, there are, um, real educators out there that are also clever folk like our current guests. So again, we encourage you to go find these people, follow these people, be about it. So Bethany, where do people find you? Okay, you can find me at Bethany Skilton 5 on Instagram, all lowercase, easy, simple pie. However, if you go over to Twitter, it will be the same. Handle Bethany's Skeleton 5. However, please capitalize on the BS in my name, Bethany Skeleton. Okay, please capitalize on my BS because you will tag somebody and they'll be like, what the fuck? So, um, yes, that's it. Jessica, over to you. Where do we find this podcast? We find this podcast at Body Count pod.com is our website again guys i'm almost finished with the new one it's going to be different we're going to start offering merch we're going to start offering a lot of things that we have neglected and a lot of you have so blessedly emailed or dm'd me about um we also we are also available to follow we put a lot of shit out there during the week um at Body Count Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are massively active on, on all three. We're really getting into the spirit. And then if you want to follow me, oh, well, we're working on some things. Maybe don't follow it yet. Body Counts or patreon.com backslash body counts. There are some things there. You can watch back in the day before Kara joined the podcast. Um, you can watch shit about Russia and some different stuff and maybe some Can OTD. you only imagine how much more Russia content there would have been? I'm sorry to say. It was 15 episodes already, and I wanted to literally put my face into a blender. Can you imagine what? if you'd have been on that? I'd still be doing Russia. But Jessica, but Jessica, who learned shit and remembered shit? Huh? Yeah, I can say Avon the Fourth and Avon the Fifth, and you actually know who the hell they are. So who did I'm a good job? Stoked. Who did a good job at teaching their uh, historical challenged friend? Who? <laughs> who did a good job? Challenged. I'm done. It also got me my favorite email of all time that your knowledge of early modern history is um is shadowed by your general ass clownery so we've always called ourselves ass clowns since and also i got to send back my favorite email reply of all time uh jokes on you i'm 
a terrible early modern historian. So um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That's why we say we're that ass clowns. Funny. One of my favorite emails of all fucking time. Uh, thank you for thinking I'm good at early modern because you are desperately fucking wrong, sir. Um, that being said, that's going to do it for us this week. Obviously, we're going to have Warren back because he's a fucking fan favorite. And I have to hear all the time about Hashtag Warren. body count. Jess, what about you? Where can people follow you? Don't forget about you. B is in Bravo, Manor is in the house, not the behavior, Twitter and Instagram. You guys know where to find me. Fuck. God knows my DMs say you know where to find me. I Twitter stalked um, you. You know what's funny? I, I have not got any bad DMs too, So No bad what? DMs, y'all. I just want to say for the record, and I don't want to jinx myself, but unlike you, you ladies, I have not received any sultry images. And I'm not saying I'm disappointed. I'm just saying I was made to be under the impression that I'd have some interesting DMs. You know what? I've only had praise recently in both email and DMs and only the occasional dick or tit pick. Like they've <laughs> definitely gone down. Suddenly okay. we are, you know, real people. So, then why am I've I I've never had any. What am I doing wrong? Okay. okay. No, no. People out there. No. You know where no. to find them. Okay, so I'm curious, why the fuck am I still getting badge pics? Like, what the hell? Come I, on, yeah. like me? Why am I the one getting them then? Like, it. You know what? Naked pictures from fans are indiscriminate, guys. Just so you know. Like, I get as many dicks as I get tits and badge, but uh, Bethany gets more than all of us. So, that's exciting. I haven't gotten any. And that's because I intimidate them sexually. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, maybe find them on Twitter. Be kind, rewind there, if you will. <laughs> Gift I guess pull into the dock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Docks the dock, if you will. I, um, I really don't want that. I. I would absolutely, that would be terrible. We joked around. And somebody be filtered. It would be filtered, to be honest. Because You joke about that, spam. but when this airs, when you have like 20 vagina pictures in your DMs, I'm going to laugh so hard. Um, I, I would weep deeply. <laughs> and then I'm going to sing Welcome to My World in the old school country style to you. And Welcome it's gonna be to my world. Fun. Yes, it's going to be a very fitting moment. Uh, won't you come on in, sir, if you won't will. Won't you come yeah. on in? <laughs> that baritone, so, man. Now, guys, we've had fucking Dr. Warren Doctor back. You can stop emailing me asking for, for this one. He'll to be come back, back again. He's going to be back you. again. Jessica. It's like it herpes. We can't get rid of him. Jessica. Um, Jessica, I was the one sending you emails about Warren. Okay, like I'm just gonna <laughs> the whole actually, bring it back. Oh my god! Hey, wait, hey, you're is welcome. Counterintelligence. Counterintelligence. In a way. <laughs> In a way. There's a lot of CT so, happening here, guys. Um, Bethany, we'll I knew also. I uh, this may actually come out before the book is out or before the articles. 
are necessarily out, but when they do come out, we will also put that up where you can read a number of brilliant people like uh, the doctor here talking about um, some really in, in intelligence work as far as Churchill is concerned. So that being said, we will be back at you guys next week. As always, it was a massive fucking pleasure. Uh, Thank you. Yes, so it was able to bring this to you guys every week and we will be back at you later. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.